0: I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future.
2: And I am Tom, down with Army Regulation Two 211-35 Bionic.
1: Boy, you could say that again. Uh, this is a new week. And I am Tom, down with Armor nah, Regulation 211- 21355. Uh, we're just glad to be with you all again here on the Future Quake Show. We've got another set of guests. We don't have much time to talk because we have a chock full interview all this week with Mr. Gary Franchi and William Lewis. The producers of a new documentary called Camp FEMA, Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about irrefutable evidence of an impending control and detainment of the American public.
2: Well, let's just get right to it.
1: Uh, Yeah, we don't have much time, uh, so here are Mr. Franchi and Mr. Lewis, and we'll be right back to wrap it up here on FutureQuake. Welcome to the FutureQuake Show. I am Dr. Future.
2: And I am Tom. I'm not going to a camp. Not at all. Bionic
1: and with one of the shorter middle names this week.
2: Well, I got to shorten it up because we got so much good information.
1: We have a ton of information to, to carry and this is going to be a classic future quake this week. Uh this week we have Gary Franchi and William Lewis uh who are the producers of Camp Fema, uh, a new documentary that's just coming out and we're going to talk this week about irrefutable evidence of an impending control and detainment of the American public.
2: Is that anything like
1: Sandals? Right, like Camp Fema. You're no. you're gonna find out. <laughs> it's not quite the same experience as not what you like see Club on TV. Uh, it, it, Mr. Franchi and Mr. Lewis, uh, welcome both of you to your first first visit to the Future Quake Show.
3: Thanks for having no us on. Okay. Yes, be, be here. Uh,
1: Thank you. Uh, Gary, am I if i pronouncing your last name correct, Mr. Fra- uh, Franchi? That's
3: correct. Okay. Uh, pronounce
1: Franchi. Franchi, wonderful. Well, it's wonderful to have both of you um, to to try to accommodate and uh, economize our time because we have so much material to cover. I'm going to do just a little quick primer on both of your background, and you correct me if I have any information that's an in error or needs to be updated. Um, <clears throat> Gary Franchi, Jr. is an avant-garde filmmaker, television host, managing editor of Republic Magazine, national grassroots organizer, and is the successor to the late Aaron uh, Russo. ...as the National Director of RestoreTheRepublic.com. The legacy group formed in response to the success of America, freedom to fascism. Mm. He also hosts the popular weekly show, The Reality Report, on Freedom.TV. William Lewis is an award-winning filmmaker who also has a distinguished career in Louisiana in the music industry. In 2001, he began producing American Freedom News, an international radio program which dealt with issues surrounding the intrusive nature of global government. He also assisted in creating True News, a nationally syndicated television news program which he produced and directed. In 2003, William created Bridgestone Media Group, a motion picture production company committed to producing films that expose high-profile criminal transgression and lift the veil of secrecy surrounding international misconceptions, also known as cover-ups. To date, William has written and directed six documentaries, including One Nation Under Siege, the award-winning Beyond Treason, Washington, You're Fired, and most currently, Life on the Edge of a Bubble, which recently won Best Feature Documentary at the Indie Fest 2009. So did uh was that a pretty accurate blurb on the background of both of you?
4: Oh yeah. Great. Yes, that sounds about right. Okay, that's great.
1: <laughs> well, uh to kick things off here, uh, since we do have a lot to talk about today, uh particularly about the content of your new documentary called Camp FEMA, which I've just recently reviewed. Uh could could we actually begin by uh asking what brought you two guys together to do to do a project like this?
3: Gary, you want to fill that
5: one? Well, yeah. Um, you know, I I was working with uh, filmmaker Aaron Russo, who made The Rose with Bette Midler and uh, uh, Trading Places with Eddie Murphy. And uh, he recently passed away, unfortunately, uh, to cancer and, uh, you know, left a, uh, left a pretty big void in, in our organization. And we were uh, putting... Uh, putting websites together, putting a lot of media together, and I uh, came across some just profound documentary films. Uh, and uh, I was helping him promote some of his work uh, through our uh, through our members. And uh, in the back of my mind, I, I always wanted to do uh, to produce my own film. And I had these dying questions to learn about uh, the the situation related to internment camps. Uh, or detention centers or concentration camps in America. I'd seen so much information on the internet, uh, stuff that was very difficult to to actually grasp. So much disinformation. And uh, William was looking for another project, and we we, we kind of collided and said, "Well, let's uh, let's put this thing together. Let's 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 find the facts. Let's find the information. Let's distill it to the to the purest points that we can prove." and uh, deliver a a documentary film to the American people um, that is, uh, well, I mean, it's it's a tough topic to grasp because, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into a lot of the details, but, um, you know, William and I came together because we we felt that this topic um, needed to be addressed and it needed to be presented to the American people. So uh, now Mm -hmm. we have the film camp theme available.
0: Okay.
1: Now, you know, just about everybody... Uh, who listens to alternative media, has been talking about this topic. Uh, in the middle of all the talking, I, I hadn't seen too much on the, the way of documentaries about the subject. Was it that you all saw a void, that a lot of people were talking about little fringe parts of the issue, but nobody had really put the definitive documentary together about the, about the topic?
3: Well yeah, you know, be- uh, I would say – go ahead, William. I was going to say, it, it may have been that, but it was just simply that uh, – you know, Gary's followed FEMA camps uh, and internment camps in the United States for, for 10 years, and so have I. And it was just, it was a you know, it was a natural marriage to come together and prove once and for all that this is not an Internet rumor, period. Right. You know, and that's why we assembled all of the documentation that you see in the film, uh, you know, all of the legislation, the mindset that is in these Senate committee hearings – The MIAC reports, the Department of Homeland Security reports, the Project Megiddo's, and all of this stuff that has gone on in this Mm -hmm. country for the past 50 years, Mm -hmm. black and white. you know.
1: Well, we're going to briefly comment about each of those uh, during our remaining time in this interview. But before we get into that, I just want to ask you something about another recent project that uh, you all developed a lot of notoriety for, and that was another documentary called Washington, You're Fired. Um, what has been the legacy of the the feedback you've received, and uh, any other developments since it's been released?
3: Uh, well, I don't know about uh, developments in some of the legislation. You know, most of the well, I legislation... just mean the
1: attention, the the attention what people have said because it, it it got a lot of publicity, did it not?
3: Yeah, you know, it turned out to be really more popular than I kind of expected, uh, and I, I just assume it was because of the you know, the delivery style, which is, is what we got the most comments on, it was just fact-based. Here are the facts laid out for you, and then right at the end of that, before we even go on to the next topic, here's the solutions, here's how you actually physically take action and do something about it. You know, that was that that really got people's attention because, you know, once we finish talking about the Patriot Act and all of the, you know, first, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth amendments that it violates, uh, you get to – Hear about the Bill of Rights Defense Committee, who's out there actually helping people in communities organize with their local government to pass these Anti-Patriot Act uh, pieces of legislation, all the way from cities and um, up to states. I mean, there's uh, actually quite a landslide, about 450 different uh, cities and counties who pass these resolutions that say the feds can't come in here. You have no authority. To, you know, the Patriot Act does not apply here. So,
1: You know, we have a state uh, senator here who's been on our – excuse me, state representative, been on our show, who uh, assisted in developing legislation here in Tennessee that does not allow National Guard or other state law enforcement officials to confiscate guns during an emergency like a Katrina kind of event. Those are the kind of things where we can really sort of develop a, a protection, at least on, on a state or local level, and it sounds like this uh, washing you're fired product would be a good one for people to see after they've gotten Camp FEMA. Once they're really fired up about what, what what's wrong with our country, that gives them the kind of instructions they can to start doing something about it, correct?
3: Yeah, and it's amazing, too. You know, some of the topics really kind of overlap. Uh, we didn't take off on a lot of the, say, for instance, the um, John Warner Defense Act, uh, which removes posse comitatus. There was not a whole lot of explanation into it in Camp FEMA. There was just the, you know, here's the end result. But actually, in Washington, you fired, you get that five minute explanation of what all that it does. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of, I guess, uh, crossover information. Right. kind of a, a, you know, a joint, well, uh, you know, volume one and volume two or something. I don't know. Well,
1: I want to commend you for for helping people who who are disturbed by the information they hear. Uh, you know, by your work, people like Alex Jones and others, but they don't know what to do about it. And you've given them a tool now to, if they're really clueless, to start with that and to figure out how to put some feet to uh, their concerns. Um, and speaking of Alex Jones, he is someone who uh, evidently is very, very impressed with your work. Not only has he advertised it a lot, but he was uh, uh, quite an assistant to you, wasn't he, not, in in, in participating in your production?
3: Well, you know, Alex has been a friend now for for about ten years. Really, going hmm. going back to um, we we I, I did a a music CD about ten years ago, back when I was uh, got, you know kind of into the the big music scene and doing that sort of thing, and we used a lot of Alex Jones samples into the music. Ah, okay. You know, and you know <laughs> it, it was ironically called Police State. And you know his his work was perfect for you know taking samples out of it to uh, make the music and so that's kind of how we first hooked up. But we never actually made any documentaries together. This is really the first time that he's been uh, you know invited to kind of come into a project and uh, sure. help. You know, which is well, he was a very very great asset, of course.
1: Well, I'm sure he's glad to be hooked up with people who know what they're doing and can do their own thing that he doesn't have to be behind all of it but to just participate, that's probably a relief to him uh, because nobody can carry the whole load on everything on what's going on, and you all are doing a fine job yourselves. But you also have some other guests like Chuck Baldwin, who's a real fan of our show and been a regular guest on our show as well, and now a number of other people. So you, you have quite a few guest stars on this documentary, correct?
3: Yeah, it, it's a very broad range. Uh, you know, everyone from, like you mentioned, Alex Jones to John Statmiller, Chuck Baldwin, Michael Badnerick. We've got uh, Catherine Bleichen here with the Liberty Restoration Project, mm-hmm. uh, Larry Pratt with Gun Owners of America, um, Charlie Meadows, who's taken up the um, Oklahoma for sovereignty and free enterprise cause there in Oklahoma City, trying to get mm-hmm. the state government uh, to reinsert itself uh, you know, over the feds, um, James Lane, Jeffrey Grupp, um, Michael Shaw, uh, Sam Ozaki, who was a united states intern camp survivor from the 40s -hmm. Uh, very broad range of people in here
1: Hmm. wow well let's get into the meat and potatoes of the content of it and all we're going to do is hit the surface people are going to need to get your dvd to get the details so we're going to wet their 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 taste for it and also have them learning a little bit from our show here uh Let's first start by looking at the historical uh, issues, like we normally do on Future Quake. Uh, looking at the modern historical context of the World War II internment camps for Americans of Japanese heritage, uh, and these are largely American citizens of Japanese heritage that were actually interred by our own government, uh, taken out of their homes, um, in many cases lost their homes and their jobs and vocations, even though they'd committed no crime. Uh, why were they interred? What was the scale of the operation, and how were they treated while they were there?
5: You know, this is Gary. I'll take that question. Um, you know, my my unique experience in this investigation uh, into uh, FEMA camps in this country and internment camps uh, being constructed nationwide uh, it was only it was it was only a natural uh, progression to take a look back at history, and you know. Our, our country, our nation, our government um, has done it before, and um, you know it, it's it's kind of an interesting story how I met Sam Ozaki. You know, and I want to get to answer some of your questions um, related to the camps. But Mr. Ozaki was referred to me uh, through my my brother, in fact, uh, who had just married a uh, beautiful Japanese girl whose grandparents met at. The uh, Japanese internment camps, and I was the original intent was to go and interview them to to, to talk to them about how they met and how they how they had a courtship, you know, in the in the internment camps. Um, but due to health reasons, he wasn't able to do so, and, and I was uh, referred to Samazaki who was a an amazing person to interview. And what I got to what I got to listen to the, the first hand wisdom, the first hand knowledge, experience that he imparted. Um, has changed me personally uh, because you know, so often you read about in books and you see them on the internet, you see articles, and you don't sometimes there's a, a disconnect, you know. But but actually, sitting there talking across the table from somebody changes you when you hear the first hand experiences. And Mr. Ozaki and his family were taken um, by the United States military, by the government. Um, I shouldn't say they were taken, but they, they actually had to turn themselves in. To these uh, these centers that were set up in uh, um, state state fairgrounds, uh, horse racing tracks, and, and those types of pre existing pre existing um, facilities, they were they were used as processing centers and holding facilities while the actual camps themselves were being built. So keep that very important. Um, uh, a concept and that historical reference in mind, uh, when, you, when we look to what's going on today in this country. But the Japanese were taken—120. Uh, what is it? Over 120,000 Japanese Americans. These are American citizens now. Were
1: taken and put into these camps. 120,000. You said.
5: Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. That's that's the figure that uh, Sam Ozaki okay. had referenced. It was 120,000 Americans. Okay. Now um Ozaki was referring, you know, to Japanese American and Japanese American and, and to me, you know, hyphenating the whole American, you know, thing, Italian American and African American. Yeah. It's like, you know, we're all Americans. Let's let's cut to the chase here. You know, I'm not gonna look at the color of your skin, I'm not gonna look at, you know, your your accents or whatever. Let's 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 cut to the chase. We're Americans and you were an American citizen when this happened. And your rights were completely violated. And you're cut I mean it was just it
1: was just a tragedy. Mm-hmm. So well, now we, yeah, they were they were taken away from their homes. They lost their many times their homes, their businesses. They didn't know how long they, got, they were going to be gone. They did sort of give everything away or sell it away for hardly anything before they left.
0: Correct?
5: Yes, yeah, so they had to sell things off uh, for pennies on the dollar. In some cases, they um, they were they were robbed. Um, basically, just things were taken, stolen from them. Their houses. They had nothing. They had to give up everything. They could only they could only report to these uh, processing centers. With what they could carry within their two hands. That means they had to leave their cars in the parking lots. They had and just because they were Japanese Americans.
1: Yeah, the, the, uh, uh, ancestry. Japanese ancestry. They may have been different Americans different for American generations. Systems. Right, okay. Americans. Right. Um,
5: the reason that the United States government did this um, was because, obviously, of the, the, the World War II situation. Pearl Harbor um, had created this intense paranoia and fear of the Japanese people that they would somehow come together and, and, uh, and form a, an internal force and attack uh, within the United States. Now, you know, this never happened, and the government acted well beyond their, well, well beyond anything that our government, we believe our government should even do, in fact, fighting Fighting Germany for doing the exact same thing to you know Gypsies and Jews and, and and Christians and the like uh, in, in Germany, and here we are we're fighting them in Germany and we're doing the same thing here. I mean, right. complete hypocrisy.
1: You know, so more hypocrisy. I have to think of this when I watched your documentary. Is is, is it appeared to me when I looked up the the uh, heritage ancestry of FDR? Uh, he was of French and dutch and and ancestry from what I saw, and those two countries were both occupied by Nazi Germany and i don 't remember them going and interring people of Dutch and French ancestry because they may have had some spies in our midst from those countries, so it seemed like it was pretty selective as far as the the people who were our enemy list that they chose to inter was it not
5: well at the, at the time uh and in, in the history some of the some of the historical points um did not make it into the film such as uh you know they rounded up Germans um here in America uh they rounded up Italians as well hmm. so um but the largest most notable group that was rounded up and put into camps constructed by the military were the uh Japanese
1: Americans there weren't enough Italians in New York City to be of concern <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how many how many Italians were in Amer, Italian Americans? I'm not besmirching them. I'm just saying that you know they were loyal servicemen in our service, but there were, there were tons of Italian Americans from from the stories I hear serving overseas, just like there were those of Asian ancestry. But it seems like they were sort of were selectively chosen out. Now, now, granted, you know they did a sneak attack on us. Uh, But we soon were, we're, you know, opposed to both camps, and we had German U-boats before this time actually, you know, knocking out our our merchant ships and things like that at the same time. So not to belabor the point, but I I think the key point to understand here is that it did happen. It's a part of our history. American citizens were taken, and there there was nothing that stopped it. There was no uh, other activity that stopped and protected these people. They were put into slave labor, basically they They had to work for uh military purposes, and uh, there was no hesitation because of the good, honest decency of America that stopped this activity from happening um,
5: and the one one thing that Mr. Samozaki impressed to me was that you know we must remain vigilant because it can happen again had mm-hmm. uh, did with the um the muslim American population uh just after 9-11, so you know, in times of great crisis, as you see in the film, um, governments they just they, they resort to, you know, uh, paranoia and fear and, and turn on their own people. And you know, I don't want to get into
4: all mm-hmm.
5: the other people but wanna William explain some of these things too. But, you know, we're seeing a we are seeing very similar things taking place now where they are demonizing groups of people in the United States merely mm-hmm. for expressing their constitutional rights. And yeah. that is where the danger lies,
1: and that's yeah. why we this film. Well, we're going to talk about that, but uh, Tom and I already know we're on that list uh, for five or six different ways, So, <laughs> we, and most of our Futurian listeners are too as well. I, I want to jump into where you spend the bulk of the discussion in your documentary, and that is talking about FEMA and the critical role that FEMA plays as being the springboard for a lot of this. Uh, what were the origins, original origins, and the original purpose of FEMA? Uh, and then after we've established it, I want to talk about how it was sort of contorted from there. But what was the original purpose of it?
3: Well, you want, you want to take that? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, FEMA came into existence in 1979. This was under the um, administration of uh, Carter, and he signed uh, Presidential Executive Order 12127, and this uh, executive order actually created the agency and, and gave it its purpose. And its, its original purpose, of course, was to coordinate the response to disasters that have occurred in the United States and that overwhelm the resources of local and state authorities. Uh, this included... Um, Things like civil defense, for instance, in the event of some type of a nuclear catastrophe here in the states, they were trained to go in and provide assistance. But keep in mind, even even back then, um, it wasn't necessarily this, you know, a blanket directive. The the governor of the state actually had to call up the White House and say, "We want you to help us." You know, we it wasn't just this automatic response you know, that they're going to go in. So, you know, that in itself has kind of changed just a, uh, a little bit itself. But in in the documentary, we explore the idea of what their directives are.
4: All mm-hmm. right.
3: And, um,
1: so let me just make sure our listeners understand. Originally, it was something that was tightly defined. It was just to help people in emergency when state authorities were overwhelmed. They were supposed to be there to uh fulfill any kind of need, shortfall that was falling out for emergencies like hurricanes or things like this. And only at the call of the state. The state had the right of refusal. They were the ones that actually had them involved. So there was checks and balances and things like that involved. However, there were some key figures in Washington that sort of moved through the president to change things, correct? And if so, what what happened there to actually change and contort the mission of FEMA?
3: I mean, there's, there's several breakpoints here, but the one that I like to refer to is uh, the, the change that took place under the Bush administration where he removed FEMA. Uh, you know, he, he basically placed FEMA under the umbrella of the Department of Homeland Security. So, you know, upon that uh, change that took place, the stated objective, if you look at uh, the Department of Homeland Security, their objective is to protect the nation from dangerous people. So this is now, you know, bled into the the whole uh, agency of FEMA in protecting, helping to protect the nation from dangerous people, whoever those quote unquote dangerous people might be. Um, but you know, I guess what you have to look at there is the um, the Bush administration is, you know, directly responsible for this major shift in in FEMA that we see for them, you know, rushing into a, a disaster. And, you know, all you have to do is take a look at uh, New Orleans to understand that, you know, it was a complete disaster. There was, uh, you know, beta testing going on, rounding up guns, gun confiscation door-to-door um they wouldn't let you stay in your home even if you had food and water you were forced to evacuate in many situations in new orleans uh the entire city was not even flooded you know it was only in portions of the city that we saw major flooding and the people who were in areas that were not even affected were forced to move out and had their guns confiscated and were treated like uh you know second class not even citizens you know they were they 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 were basically stripped of their uh, bill of rights and treated as uh, interns.
1: We're back at Future Quake with Doctor Future and
2: Tom. Down with the John Warren Defense Act, Bionic.
1: Yeah, another mysterious one. Down, yeah. down with it. What 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 was you left with from this segment? We we just sort of crescendoing. Tomorrow it really gets sort of hairy.
2: Yeah. Well, the whole idea that uh, posse comitatus. Uh, uh, was is removed, you know, the idea with the General mm-hmm. Defense Act. It seems like this incursion of rights always happens under, like, the same people in government. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I.e., Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney. Right.
1: And you're not and saying Mark that. Mark Sith Lord. You're not yes, saying. my master. Well, you're not saying that as a Democrat or sympathetic no, to any I'm of that at all. No, saying that it's the same darn you know, people. Well, we come from a conservative background, so it has nothing to do with that. Uh Speaking of Sith Lords, uh, Merv, could you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at FutureQuake?
6: FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at Future at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we gotta right, go. let's
1: get out of here. Okay, got to go. Come back tomorrow. Till then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Yes.
0: Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future.
2: And I am Tom, down with Rex84, Bionic.
1: Mm, Which we're going to find out today in this next installment of our interview Mm. with Gary Franchi and William Lewis, who are the Mm -hmm. producers of a new documentary called Camp FEMA, Mm -hmm. and we're talking today about irrefutable evidence of an impending control and detainment of the American public. Yes. And people are going to find things get really intense starting with this, it crescendos in this second installment. Yeah.
2: It's going to be uncomfortable and stuff, but it's also truth and history. so Which makes it ideal future quake material. Yeah. So put your seatbelt on and prepare to not be entertained. Yeah. But prepare to be, I don't know, educated.
1: Yeah. We, we have Cheney and Rumsfeld coming in. The Dark Lords. We're talking yes, about. Yes, Master.
2: Uh, yes.
1: We talk about how the purpose of FEMA was changed and modified to basically provide one person the power to control the reins of government mm-hmm. without the balance of powers.
2: You're right. The only thing that's missing is the Death Star. Yes. And that's I might be changing. Actually, head. they had <laughs> great
1: under the Empire. They had greater freedoms than what we have now under the the new legislation we have.
2: That's true. I mean, well, it's totally different. I mean, the stormtroopers wore white. In yeah. The movie.
1: At least they didn't use tasers. No, they used, people. They
2: used blasters in that that thing yeah. where they froze Han Solo in.
1: Well, yeah, that's true. I hope that doesn't come back. Yeah. Well, you know the um. This whole idea about the Japanese internment camps, yeah talk about a blight on our history.
2: Pretty much, yeah. But, you
1: know, we're a Christian nation. We're God's people, you know? Yeah. God gave us. He picked our nation.
2: Well, tell the Armenian Christians that. Yeah. They, they got slaughtered to the tune of about four right. million of them yeah. by the Turks.
1: What about all the Jews that were uh, Hitler was putting on ships to come over here? Yeah. And our nation turned them away. Yeah. They had a way to get away from, from that, mm-hmm. and they turned them away. Or...
2: And the whole thing about the Swiss uh yeah. you know the Swiss neutrality and
1: I always oh gosh. I always like that bumper sticker that said you can trust the American government just ask an Indian <laughs> we're going to we're going to get some of that this next segment so no further ado Indians? here's Mr. Franchi and Mr. Lewis and they'll be right back to discuss it here on future quick yeah yeah it's been said that Katrina in some ways was sort of a dry run for the authorities to see how much abuse that locals would take uh if they asked for their to confiscate their guns would people hold on to their constitutional rights or or could they be you know wearied enough where they would actually just hand them over without much resistance um how how much would people be willing to tolerate uh just to get out of an untenable situation if they're told to go get on a bus or move out of town or do whatever would they comply and i i, I do wonder if sometimes that was viewed as a dry run of something of a larger scale uh you know a kind of event like you might apply later in your documentary itself, so if I understand correctly uh D- Dick Cheney and um uh the the former uh, secretary of defense name just escaped me uh,
2: don rumsfeld Donald
1: Rumsfeld these two gentlemen had an early role back in this stage way before this recent administration in being keys in expanding. The the mission of FEMA for man made emergencies correct. Yes, that's accurate. okay. Rumsfeld was involved with that. Yes,
2: that uh, guy's like the dark Sith Lord.
1: Isn't that interesting? Like, how they find he, their way to to create an agency to do just in case there might be threats down the road, where an you know, expansion of an agency to address might be needed. So now, what, what you focus on in your documentary, the three main areas which which forms the structure for your documentary. Are three main missions. Can you list what those three main missions are?
3: Yeah, uh, the actual uh, directive is uh, the first one is national emergency recovery, like mm-hmm. assisting in tornadoes and floods and earthquakes. Right. Um, their second directive is continuity of government. And their third directive is combating perceived threats to the existing social and political order.
1: Now, those last. Yeah, yeah Those, this,
3: is, this is the one we concentrate on the most. <laughs> well,
1: even the last two of the three, if you ask the average citizen on the street, they would not be aware that uh, Mr. Cheney and Mr. Rumsfeld were involved in adding these particular missions of FEMA uh, regarding continuity of government and actually basically maintaining the political status quo of what's going on. Um, related to that, in continuity of government... There are two key documents that you mentioned. There could be others mentioned, but ones that are well-known, although unknown to a lot of the public. One is called Executive Order, uh, known as Rex 84, and the other one is PDD 51. Can you explain in a nutshell what both of those are and, and through them, who were the kind of people that were targeted for detainment back at that time, and why was it treated so secretly?
3: Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that Rex 84 was actually an executive order. Um, oh. I believe that, that is just an
0: abbreviation
3: for Readiness Exercise 1984. It was actually a, a military exercise or an operation.
0: Okay. Pardon
1: me for if I've got that yeah. incorrect,
3: <laughs> No problem. But, uh, yeah, I still the Rex- don't feel
1: much better about it, but
3: <laughs> at, least we'll, at
1: least we'll have the records correct for it. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about those.
3: Well, Rex 84 remains secret for a very long time, and it was was not discovered, um, I believe, until about 1982 when there was a FEMA deputy. His name was John Brinkerhoff, and he had written a memo. This was an internal memo. It was not meant for public consumption at all. And in this particular document, they talk about wanting to be able to round up and I mean, it literally says, I mean, some of the wording in here is, is they wanted to round up at least 21 million American Negroes for delivery to numerous military bases around the country that had been converted into prison centers, all right? I mean, these were FEMA relocation camps in the very early stages back in the 1980s. And the Miami Herald did a story on this memo, which is what gave it the publicity, and this is how the story broke. And then we learned about some of the other martial law portions of REC 84 from that, where they wanted to um, basically take control of the federal government and the state governments and appoint military commanders to replace the duly elected officials that we had put into those offices. All right, so in other words, they come in and dismiss any federal and state appointed people that they want to or state uh, duly elected officials that they wish to, and they actually appoint military commanders to take over those positions. Um, then, of course, there was, uh, you know, very loosely defined terminology used in, in the actual uh, memo itself, which was, you know, the sketchy, you know, when, when could martial law be declared? And they, it was in the event of any kind of a national crisis. But they didn't define the term national crisis so literally in the event of anything that the president would determine is a national crisis, they could begin appointing military command to take over these uh, state officials' positions and then go uh, go about their business of, of rounding up these 21 million American Negroes that they talk about. And, of course, at the time you have to remember, um, uh, you know, African Americans were, were really classified as one of the largest threats to the continuity of federal government because – you know the the, the federal government um, was afraid of people like Martin Luther King and this uh, kind of, you know nonviolent. It was it was all about. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. They you know profiled the, the KKK and uh, you know other. You know what am I trying to say um, here? They, they were they were profiling all of the people that I would consider a threat you know, mm-hmm. maybe, a, maybe, maybe a serious legitimate mm-hmm. threat, they were lumping us all into the same vat of, of uh, you know, we're, we're all mm-hmm. potential whatever, terrorist right. or uh, whatever.
1: But but the key is, is that they eliminated any check and balance that we have as a hallmark of the Constitution. In other words, uh, you would assume if something was a legitimate threat that Congress – And then other branches of government would have agreement if it was a legitimate threat and would move swiftly to take severe actions if necessary. But they completely truncated that influence of the people's house, and it became something just of the administrative branch, the executive branch, to be able to to do this, correct?
3: Yes, I would say that's fair.
1: Okay. Uh, Now, people can actually go look online on YouTube and watch old footage from the Iran-Contra hearings – and actually here, Oliver North, who's really beloved on a lot of uh, conservative uh, radio, sh- or t- television, cable TV today, actually see him asked by a congressman about continuity of government provisions, like what we're talking about.
2: And it's, another senator stops the whole... Daniel uh, Inouye, I believe,
1: yeah. actually stops and says, you're not privy to know this information. Something that, that I don't know if many Americans know that Oliver North was right in the center of this murky activity as well and put a stop to it. So this is something that, that that our listeners can go see for themselves about some of these murky kind of things that go on out of the eye of the public, correct? Yeah. Now, w- what about PDD-51? Can you tell us anything further about it, the other dimensions of it?
3: Gary, did you want to take that one? Well, Presidential Directive
5: 51 basically um, rem- in the event of the national crisis, placed the. I mean, it's. it's I can't believe I'm, I'm saying this. It's like it's, it seems like something out of a movie. I mean, a Hollywood production. The it, it takes all the branches of government essentially and puts them under the power of the president, to to do as he as he sees fit to maintain the to maintain order basically sets up the president as dictator of the United States mm-hmm. in the event yeah. of a national emergency that he declares.
1: So in other words, if our listeners are Democrats, Republicans, if they're the Whig party, whoever they are, this is a danger to all of us whenever you go against the wisdom of the Founding Fathers and put uh, all-inclusive power in one branch of the government, correct?
5: Um, yeah, that's about right.
1: Okay. So, so basically, these were developed. Uh, now, by the way, was was that directive voted on by Congress? Was there an opportunity for public uh, comment?
5: Yeah, William, William. You know, William did some more research than I did on this, um, but I do recall there was a version that was sent to the House. Um, now, I'm not sure what, what was voted on, but there was there was commentary made. And there was there was two versions there was a public version that was you know obviously allowed for for congressmen to see, but then there was also a classified version um so in in most cases like when you have government documentation they're heavily redacted so
4: uh-huh.
5: uh, i'm I'm assuming that the version that the Congress saw was the redacted version, uh but they were told hey, you know don't worry, it's okay uh <laughs> trust the government or the White House say hey, don't worry, trust us it's we have all the control. you guys are fine, don't worry, here's a copy for you to look at. Um, William, what did, what did you discover um, when, when you came across um, Presidential Directive 51?
3: Well, I'm trying to remember if this is correct, but I believe it was a couple of hundred page bill. Um, I mean, and it, it is a presidential directive, too. You have to keep in mind it's almost like an executive order. It's not like they need to get the consent of Congress here. All right, right. But the, problem, the problem was is that the portion were being shown to Congress out of this, Two hundred page document. There was only, you know, added up a couple of pages that were actually readable because everything else had, had like Gary said, it had been mm-hmm. redacted,
4: right. and
3: they, they just claim national security. You can't read this, and uh, literally, um, you know, from the research that I had done, I was I was able to determine that this presidential directive, not it's it's not as if the president. Um, you know, controls the Congress or controls the Senate, he literally, if this thing goes into effect, has the power to uh, nullify Congress and right. the Senate. Their, their decisions are no longer even uh, a factor in this. The president gets to make all of the lawmaking decisions in this country, and it puts the president, um, it, it takes all of the branches of government and puts it in the executive branch.
1: You would think something that fundamental to the separation of powers in the Constitution would at least have a clear and open hearing by the other branch of government with Congress that they would have a full and complete understanding of what was up if they were going to vote themselves out of power or at least consent to it. Um, Now, if I understand right, some similar documents like this on continuity of government – uh, were requested to be seen by members of the Homeland Security Committee in Congress and that they were denied access to that. Is that correct? I believe that is correct. Yes, that's yes. correct. And they were shocked to find out that even though they were on the Homeland Security uh, you know, Committee for Congress on behalf of the American public, they were not allowed to see about the provisions for Homeland Security. And although things like Rex eighty four go back a long way and it goes under numerous administrations, these activities, Democrat and Republican, these things really stepped up a lot after nine one, correct? They use this as an opportunity to justify because of the threat of terrorism more and more centralized power at the stroke of a pen, correct?
5: Absolutely. I mean every you know, these days every 11 is used it's used to grab power in every corner that they can. Um, it's you know the American people have had the images of the twin towers burning and collapsing, um, you know, embedded into their into their brains,
4: mm-hmm.
5: and you know, the, go- the governments, politicians, uh, you know, those that would want to have total control of the United States use those use that use that day as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is just one more example um, uh, presidential directive 51 um, in the recent future in the recent history here. Um, of how that pay has been used um, and manipulated, much like when, you know you have the Patriot Act and right. uh, Military Commissions Act, and those types of bills are all a result of uh, September 11th and that
1: day right was used as an excuse, basically uh, mm-hmm. to, to push these forward. Um, I, I want to talk about the, the the next topic of all the disturbing things that we've just talked about and we'll continue to talk about Th- this particular one is one that disturbs me possibly the most. Because of what it's done historically and what it happens, what how it affects us today, you know, even until that time when when it all goes down south real quick, Uh, and that is about um, talking about the third mission of FEMA, about maintaining the social and political order, and and how they've conducted that by using things like the FBI's COINTELPRO operations. Can you explain to our listeners the kind of activities that you document the FBI has been doing you know over a generation uh to the American public what are the kind of things they've dealt with to people who are expressing their first amendment views about uh maybe minority opinions or opinions that are outside of the mainstream how how have they treated them
3: Well you know not even necessarily minority uh opinions okay i mean just... Okay very broad some of the uh, some of the terminology that they use, but I uh, you know what you're talking about is a hearing that took place back in 1976. All right, this was as a result of the uh, counterintelligence operations of the FBI just starting to come to light. Uh, you know, realizing that from about 1956 to 1971 under Hoover, the FBI was going around and literally. Uh, not just harassing, but I mean, in some cases, you know, there was physical violence involved, and um, the, the types of uh, organizations and people that they were targeting was everybody from the Black Panther Party to the Ku Klux Klan to the communist and socialist organizations. And then on the other side, they had the, they were targeting nonviolent civil rights organizations and anti war groups. Um, I mean they had basically lumped all of these people together under one title and in their documentation they called them the new left right and a lot of these particular groups were even labeled uh, you know a little, a little note out beside their organization labeled for intensified attention intensified attention like the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference or the Student Nonviolent Non-Viol- Coordinating Committee, the uh, Congress of Racial Equality. There was a whole lot of people that were nonviolent uh, activists and leaders of those types of communities that were being targeted. And you know, basically, what they would do, and they, had, they had several different tactics that they would use, but um, their favorite one was infiltration. They would just simply find an agent. Get them on the inside of this particular group or organization, and then use them to undermine trust and scare off their potential supporters. So before you could even, you know, get new members into the door, these guys were there to spread disinformation and make you not trust the organization that you were thinking about joining. All right, um, they used psychological warfare. Um, they would literally plant false media stories. Um, they would forge correspondence back and forth between, uh, you know, committee members or whatever. They would make anonymous phone calls, spread information about meetings and events so that people would not attend. Um, they they even went so far as to set up pseudo-movement groups that were run by government agents. So if they couldn't infiltrate the group that they wanted to, they'd simply set up a similar movement to the side and, They'd have government operatives running that particular organization so that they could keep them in check. Um, they would manipulate uh, parents, and, and they literally threaten parents and employers and landlords, school officials, all these different people just to cause trouble for these activists and try to, to you know wear down psychologically and physically and, and just determine that they need to withdraw from the group or they don't want to be involved in it anymore just because of the harassment that they were receiving. Um, they even harass people through the legal system. They would go in, and uh, the FBI would accuse people of, uh, you know, they would they would make false statements against these against these people, basically perjured testimony, present fabricated evidence, whatever they needed to, as a pretext for a false arrest and wrongful imprisonment. And then that person would have a record. You know, they would be, you know, uh, you know, and it's, it's one thing to join a group, I guess. Um, with a leader who's, um, you know, kind of got that uh, moral superiority feel about him. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, uh, you know, truly right. believed what he's saying versus going in and joining a group where the person has been arrested. They have a, a you know, a prison record. That's right. All right. So, uh, you know, they would try and influence people that way. They would even discriminatorily enforce the tax laws and government regulations.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and, and then, of course, the worst of this was some of the uh, extra-legal force and actual violence that they used against these people, where the FBI and the police would threaten and even instigate break-ins, vandalisms, uh, assaults, beatings, whatever they needed to do, so that they could, um, and we quote this over, over and over again in the film, maintain the existing social and political order. That's what this was all about, maintaining the existing social and political order. Whatever it is, whoever's in office, whoever determines that at that particular moment, you know, J. Edgar Hoover literally had these people going around believing that they were doing the right thing. You know, it, I mean, and, and obviously we, we look back on it now and, and nobody can come to the determination that they were doing the right thing.
1: So, so they, <laughs>
6: uh, Yeah, thank you for the context there, Tom.
1: So, so basically, these, it's not because these people committed a crime. It's not because they've done anything that they could put their finger on and take them in a court of law and say, uh, you've done something, you're trying to do sedition or treason against our country. Uh, you're doing something that is deemed unpopular by us, by those of us who are in power and make the decisions. Therefore, we can do whatever, whatever unlawful thing on our behalf to stop your lawful activities is sure. what I gather for this. Now, this you know the of the
3: red threat too. Remember, this, is, you right. know, this oh, was, you yeah. know, a serious threat of communist infiltration and it was a legitimate threat. So That's right. This is how they legitimized it. You know, they they would say that we're protecting national security or we're preventing violence or this, you know, that those are the uh you know, the ways that they disguise their activity.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, evidently they were not comfortable enough with the American people hearing the messages of these extremists, if if they weren't in fact something beneficial for America, and they did not trust the American people to decide on their own that they didn't want to support them, so they had to take underhanded means by which to stop it. If if I could summarize it, uh, I I see there's three basic things they could accomplish with these tactics. One is, and you've alluded to these blackball certain people, where they were basically you know blacklisted from from further support or movements. They could eliminate troublemakers. If there were certain people that they just were, were, you know, really bothered with, they, they could trump up some charges on them. Or they created mistrust, like you said at the beginning, and they would inhibit movements by creating an atmosphere either where, where, where people looked bad on the outside so they didn't get, um, they, they didn't get new members because they'd gotten bad press. But also, lastly, they would create distrust within a group. Because no one would know who else in the group might be on the FBI payroll, so it created even internal problems between members of the group because they didn't know who. It was sort of like the old uh, East German police that in, you know would infiltrate groups and you never knew who was really legitimate on your on your behalf. So it was truly a nightmare scenario for people in uh, any any of these kind of movements. Correct?
3: Yes, very 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 true.
1: Okay, well, um, you know, for the people who are listening to this right now, they may say, "Well, you know, that's fine. We had a red thread. It was, it was real. It was legitimate. Uh, that was in a bygone era. We, we live in a different world now. That kind of stuff doesn't go on. We don't have to worry about that." But I would like to talk about. Did you have a comment, Johnny?
2: Oh gosh, I have so many. It's hard to keep them all. It's just funny to hear all this stuff happen in our recent history, and yet, uh, at the time, many, much of this was going on. Uh, the son of a guy who tried to overthrow the government in the 30s was running the CIA. That's uh, George Bush Sr. You know, his son, uh, father Prescott Bush. Yeah, you know, was in that was with part the of American Legion, the right? Yeah.
1: that's right. Part of that part of that coup. Yeah. The but
2: that's a little bit that's a little bit outside of our discussion. That's exact. So
1: we had seditious people in positions of power, but they were pointing to other people as being seditious yes. on the outside rings yeah. of power. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show with Doctor Future
2: and Tom Down with PDD51 Bionic.
1: Well, as I said here at the end of this show, um, this whole part where all the all the disturbing information we had, this COINTELPRO thing. To think mm-hmm. of that, our own government is basically routinely breaking the law to try to harass lawbreaking people, even though they may have opinions we don't agree with. Well, did you see disturbs that? me so much at the core?
2: Well, if you go out on the internet, there's a guy who was actually filming some stuff down in Phoenix. And a police officer, He, they were arresting right. some guy. And that police officer comes up and says, look, you've got to turn that camera off. And he said, look, I'm part of the press. Mm-hmm. And he said, you got to turn it off. And he said, you're telling me I don't have any rights? He says, that's exactly what I'm telling you. I'm up here, and you're down there right now. Mm-hmm. So you don't have any rights.
4: Right.
1: I and know. that's in I mean, the microcosm. But this that's is it. so subversive, because we don't know in all these movements... Who the government? The government is prodding the worst things we've seen in society. Mm -hmm. The worst things that we hear are programs being led by the government, like these terrorist acts and all these kind of things. Uh The Taliban having
2: having their office in Kabul
1: to figure out. Yeah, it's it's, It's all being led by our government. Yeah. Well, speaking of other folks of that nature, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at Future
6: Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at DoctorFuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Doctor Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
1: Okay, I'm just worked up. I'm fired up too. Okay, come back tomorrow for the next installment uh, with these wonderful gentlemen at Camp FEMA. Until then, we hope your future's
0: always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future.
2: And I am Dan with H.R. 645 Bionic.
1: Dan or down? Down. Okay. Um, We are entering our third installment of our interview with Mr. Gary Franchi and William Lewis, the producers of the new documentary Camp FEMA. Talking about irrefutable evidence of an impending control and detainment of the American public. Mm-hmm. And we don't have much time. we got to go. Let's just but go. It was go, an go, intense go, go, go. day yesterday. Fast. It'll be even better today. So, no further ado, here's Mr. Franchi and Mr. Lewis. We'll be back here at Future Quite. You, you know, for, for our listeners who are saying, look, this is all a bygone era. It was a different world under uh, Hoover and things like that. What about today? It's a different world. Can you explain what's just happened in the news right now regarding Hal Turner? Uh, as an example of, uh, current day pro type activities. People may have thought that had been discontinued, but, but what's the real story? And can you use Hal Turner as an example? Uh,
3: you want to take that one?
5: Yeah, I can take that one. Um, you know, the Hal Turner situation is, uh, pretty interesting, because I've been watching the guy for, for some time, you know, out of my peripheral vision, because of just the things i see him put out. And I, I know, um, You know, he's putting out
1: major disinformation. Well, let let me clarify here, Gary. For our listeners who are not familiar, our our community, they are not all firmly in the Patriot camp, although some are partial. Uh, Hal Turner is a gentleman who's well known for very strong, very uh, controversial speaker Uh, talking about the evils of our government and and going back to core principles and, and, and again, a very patriot-oriented type message. Evidently, he was good friends with uh, Sean Hannity, but he was a well-known guy. But then he started saying things that were more and more like what we would consider white supremacist kind of talk. Talking about uh, doing violent acts against certain government officials. Instead of just condemning their actions, he was talking about people taking personal violent acts, uh, separating different groups of people in society and separating them and things. I'm not an expert on him, but that's my understanding of the story. And so he built this huge following – and then started to show more and more of these kind of things where where people like the Southern Poverty Law Center and ADL could point to him and say, look, he, he's an example of these crazy white ring extremists. He's really showing his true colors now, of uh you know trying to incite people to violence and separatism and things. So can can you explain what happened from there?
5: Well, yeah, basically what what, what had happened with this guy, um, like I said, he's putting out this all this disinformation and leading people in total wild goose chases, talking about, uh, you know, these emerald coins being produced and all this other stuff. Uh, I don't want to get too deep on a tangent here, but is um, a whole other topic. But, but what I'm saying is, um, it just recently came out that he was under the employ of the FBI for, I think it was about six or seven years. Um, I think it was about 2000. I want to say 2001 and 2007. Uh, don't quote me on that, but he recently, recently came out. His lawyer admitted he was working for the FBI. Uh, he received training from the FBI on how far to push the uh, the free speech envelope. And what's so wild is that if you watch, just Google this guy's name and type in the letter CNN, um, he did a CNN interview, and there was some commentary from folks Um, I believe that was from the Southern Poverty Law Center, who were saying that this guy was an expert. I mean, (laughs) this guy said on CNN that Hal Turner was an expert at pushing the envelope of the First Amendment. And that's because, now it's come out, that he received first-class training from the Federal Bureau of Investigation on how to do so, and he was also informed. So what the Federal Bureau of Investigation was trying to do and utilize him for was to... Incite acts of violence in certain communities, or schools of thought, or groups of people, that then they basically flush out these groups and arrest them. Okay. So Hal Turner was working for that for that process. Okay. And and that's how our FBI, our government today is still using pontell pro practices to manipulate groupthink
1: okay
4: to flush out people. <laughs> so this is a
1: continuation of what we just talked about what the fbi did and he was instigating people trying to encourage people to do things that could be borderline unlawful but instigated as an emissary of our own government uh, which He's the tip of the iceberg. We don't know who else out there could also be functioning like that right now. Now, it has this tremendous not- ch- chilling effect, does it not, on on other people? I mean, people accuse Alex Jones of that, and and other famous leaders that that talk outside the left-right paradigm. It it, it has this multiplicative effect at chilling the distrust toward everybody. Correct?
5: Yeah, I mean now. Like you just mentioned there's there are leaders in the movement who you don't know who to trust anymore mm-hmm. um, and that I mean that's just that, either that could be a direct result or a side effect of this current and for for lack of official terminology for current Cointel pro operations that are taking place now Cointel pro came out later uh you know la- later on that it was uh, declared unconstitutional it was wrong. Um, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't mean that they can come back under a different name, a different uh, umbrella, a different project, and continue Hmm. doing it as we've seen them do.
1: Right. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not an expert on this. But is it not true that the Camp Elohim, where Timothy McVeigh came from, and these other gentlemen that did the Oklahoma City bombing, was run by an FBI person? You
5: know, Maybe you can answer that. I don't
3: have all the facts in there, so I don't want to. I don't want to go there. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I think that that's uh, speculation, but it doesn't sound too far fetched, does it?
1: Okay, I'm not an expert in it, but I've heard it reported from numerous sources that have done research in this area. Um, I've recited this to other friends before that, you know, having learned from people like yourself and Mr. Jones and others about the normal government modus operandi. This past May, when there was a, then there was a bust of a quote terrorist group on our soil that was they they were going to shoot down some airplanes or something to that effect. They busted these guys. I, I told an associate of mine, I said, look, when the news comes out, they've made a big splash in this. You'll find out later there's an FBI guy who was the ringleader of the group, who actually went and got these guys and and, and went and uh, got them into his group. And you're going to find out later that a lot of these guys had some mental limited abilities and things like that. And sure enough, over the next few days, in the wee hours of the night, they report very quietly that it was an FBI leader, that it actually uh, went on and recruited these guys out of some local madrasas and places, and then it later turned out that these guys were in fact people of some limited mental capacity. They were exploited. They were offered money and other kind of things to proceed forward with this activity. So I see a continuing well, I mean, theme
5: yeah, here. Let me let me let me jump into another uh, example. Um, there was a cell down in Florida that was disrupted, and it was said that they were going to go blow up uh, the Sears Tower. Okay. Now it came out later that they had FBI people. In their cell, beating them, telling them, "Oh yeah, we're going to get you all the weapons you need. We're going to get you all the the big guns and explosives and all that stuff." And yeah, yeah, yeah. Making all big promises and basically trapping these these guys into uh, you know into the situation.
1: So now at it's least to leads to a it leads to, to a natural question then: How much threat of terrorism do we have? excluding the FBI originating terrorism. Is that the overwhelming majority of it? Is it really small except for the amount that our own government instigates and starts? Evidently when budgets are low and they need additional support?
5: Well look at look what happened in nineteen ninety three with the World Trade Center bombing. The Chicago Tribune reported that the FBI actually had a major role in cooking the bomb that took uh that that detonated blow the towers in ninety three. I mean what, what, what kind of country are we living in? This
4: mm-hmm. is
5: a is fringe report. This is Chicago Tribune transcripts from wiretaps that were taken from the guy the FBI was trying to bait to to uh, drive the uh, the van into the World Trade Center.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, now, all of this stuff was reported on the media. It was all reported yeah. in the media. We've reported on our show in the past that there have been programs that have been unveiled – uh, that they were actually reported on, where the Pentagon sent retired military officials to go in and be media experts to help promote a war or, or to do these kind of activities. It leads me to believe that we should trust very, very little of what our mainstream media tells us because they are a party to this kind of activity. And rather than investigating it and exposing it on behalf of the public, they're actually a party and a participant to this kind of deception, are they not? Absolutely, they are. So, so in other words, we have to rely on independent media and people with no budget, very little training, but just a desire to serve their fellow citizens.
2: Hey, sounds like us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and thank goodness lots of other people like these gentlemen we're talking to and others that, that don't have an axe to grind but just care about the well-being of our fellow citizens – because we live in an age that's immersed in deception. You know, we read about nineteen eighty four, we read about how they, they would change the facts and go back and reinvent history. We we read about all that in Stalinist Russia and Chairman Mounds in China, and it's a real bitter, bitter peer, pill for us to, to realize that America is not much different in that respect as well. You know, uh talking about this, we 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 talked about these uh, this new left group uh, and then we talked about these uh, these people who had you know white separatist sympathies, maybe even if they were invented by the FBI. And, and our listeners, we have a lot of evangelical Christian listeners, overwhelmingly, that are good god faring people that, that that love the Lord and love their neighbors, love their country, and they're saying, look, some of those people are a real threat. That's not me. I'm good mainstream uh kind of folks you know they need to look after those people and even even those uh terrorist folks those people are of a different religion and and i hear on christian radio that they want to kill all of us so it's a good idea even if we have to trap them the more of them we put in jail the safer we'll be uh however well, well, I, I, you know, I i yeah please you know you
5: know that old uh, that old saying you know first they came for you know for, first they came for the um, the communists, but I wasn't a communist,
4: so right. it didn't
5: bother me, you know. And it, it continues, you know, you know. Then they're going to come for the Christians, and then what's, what's going to happen there? You'll know enough right. to yeah. fight.
1: Well, so, see, that leads to my next question, because now, as of this summer, uh, the, the government has been very explicit, and this is not just something the Obama administration, although it's gone with their full endorsement. This was something that originated under the Bush administration and it's continuing under Obama. The, first, the MIAC report uh, s- supporting the Missouri police, which, as I understand, uh, came with information from the Department of Homeland Security, uh, with support from the Southern Poverty Law Center and the uh, Anti-Defamation League, provided information talking about the real threat to America, are right-wing extremists. Now, this has also been supported uh, later this summer from the Department of Homeland Security directly, uh, from Janet Depolitano that released and it and it lists such extreme people uh, that need to be uh, looked after like people who believe in pro life causes, people who believe in the Constitution and its authority, people who believe in national sovereignty versus global sovereignty, even people who believe in end times prophecies which gather which Collects the rest of us because we talk a lot about Bible prophecy on this show. So now this is the new people group. So if our listeners have looked back at these extreme leftists and and other militia types and said, "Look, those people need to be watched and infiltrated. They're not me." Now suddenly the hat's on somebody different. It's on all of us, all of our listeners. Uh, are there any comments you have about these reports, Mayak and DHS? Have I have I characterized it appropriately about how the how the it, the, the worm has turned, so to speak, and now, now it's in our laps right now to be the outsiders?
3: Well, you know, you can even go back to uh, Project Begito under the Clinton administration, which talked about, uh, you know, property rights activists and gun owners and people who homeschool their children, people who believe in the Y2 virus or might stockpile food. Um, you know, they're talking directly about Christians at this point as far as I'm concerned mm-hmm. because the vast majority of Christians um, do, you know, uh, understand the importance of a good education and they've taken the initiative to actually remove their children from the public schools and give them a good sound education in in religion, their, their particular doctrine, their particular beliefs when it comes to the Constitution. I mean, let's, let's face it, the kids in school are not, Getting that information these days. But going back to Project Megiddo, you can see the tie in here between these uh, MIAC reports and the Department of Homeland Security report that came out right after it that targeted people who were opponents of gun control, people who opposed the Federal Reserve, the United Nations, the North American Union, people who believed that there might be a New World Order, um, income tax, radio frequency identification, or RFID. People who were opposed to abortion, people who were opposed to illegal immigration—all these people were lumped into one category—and policemen were told that these are either a potential terrorist or these are people who may be a potential threat because they, uh, you know, they might be a violent anti-abortionist. They might go blow up something, you know, <laughs> and all this because they might have a Ron Paul bumper sticker on their car, Chuck Baldwin. Bob Barr, third-party affiliations, any kind of um, anything outside of what they considered the norm, which would be either the left or the right. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's I guess it's a, <laughs> uh, that's you know a pretty fair way to put it. And uh, Christians, I believe, are be- becoming the target of these investigations and these uh, reports because they do believe these things. You know, they do mm-hmm. believe. Abortion is wrong. They uh, you know, do believe in, in a new world order as prophesied mm-hmm. in, in the in the scriptures. Well those uh, who
1: read the Christians who read their Bible understand that. People who read their Bible and don't take some kind of sacred message from their pulpits but actually see what the Bible has to say uh about the kingdoms of this earth, they understand those kind of things. And those are the ones that are the, – the, the the people who go with the party line from the government and believe whatever the government says and sit in the pulpit, they're not targeted by the government, right? It's those people who actually understand what freedom truly is, understand what the natural nature of the state is. Those are the people who are really targeted, correct?
3: It does seem to be that way, doesn't it? <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I have to say that people in the church, and I speak that as one in the church myself, uh, sort of had this coming to them because like i've like I've implied, when the civil rights were taken away from people on the left or secular humanists or other people that had moral beliefs or certain worldview beliefs that we don't agree with, and we sat on our hands, and we didn't come and support their civil rights because we didn't want to be seen as actually endorsing their beliefs, which are different than ours. And so whenever they were harassed or whatever, we said, "Well, go get them. we'd be better off without them anyway." And now the shoe's on the other foot, and now the other guys are in power, and I wonder if some of these people are actually going to come to our defense and actually protect us. And the scary thing is is that for the most part, most Christians are so asleep that they're actually complicit in assisting in this process rather than resisting it itself. And there's few outposts of people like to listen to our show and and you know watch the kind of work that you all do that stand up to this kind of thing and try to stand up against it. Now, you mentioned some third parties. Um, in most democracies around the world, you know have a parliament system, they have multiple parties. they'll have three, four, five parties that are sitting in parliament. In our country, the third largest party in the country by registered voters is the Constitution Party. They're right underneath the Republican Party. Uh, Chuck Baldwin spoke on your DVD. He's been on our show a number of times. He's a Baptist pastor in good standing with the church. Uh, I went to their convention, and I met some of the most God-fearing, country-loving, wholesome, family-affirming people that you would ever meet. People that love their country. Most of them are veterans, have have, uh, given up blood uh, or lost relatives fighting to defend our country. Uh, But it was interesting. You quoted – you had a quote in there from a representative of the Anti-Defamation League about groups like the Constitution Party. What do they actually say about people affiliated with those kind of groups?
3: Well, this particular spokeswoman says that the third-party people who talk about a New World Order, that that particular term is used primarily by – white supremacy groups so that if Christians or anybody else uses the term New World Order, what we're doing is we're actually mimicking activities that are expressed by white supremacy uh, groups, thereby linking us all together. So what she's saying is, is if you even utter the term New World Order, you're a potential dangerous White supremacist type person you know who needs to be watched hmm. so and, and you know that's probably not the extent of what she actually believes i'm sure they cleaned up that interview before they put it on the news, but uh, it says a lot you know you can't even um, you can't even talk about uh, potential you know uh, real threats within our own government that are on a global basis, or United Nations, or, or North American Union, things of that nature, you can't even talk about that stuff anymore because now you're a dangerous white supremacist. hmm Right. <laughs> or a militia member. You know, mm-hmm. You're know, you in the MIAC report. So it depends on who you are, I guess, and what report they're looking at.
1: I can tell you, at that Constitution convention, party convention, I never once heard anybody say anything about wanting to take violent action against the government. I never heard them say that, uh, unlawful activity should should be undergone. Anything like that except the most wholesome support of our Constitution, which is the law of the land. Uh, and I, I find it offensive that they could find that a problem. Do you also find it curious that the same week that the Department of Homeland Security report came out, that we had three shootings that involved different groups that could be labeled right-wing extremists? Uh, two of them that come to mind, one was the uh, uh, at the uh, Holocaust Museum, where there was a shooter, and then there also there was the shooter of the prominent abortionist. Uh, what does your gut tell you about the statistical odds, given that we hadn't heard you know anything like that for years, that they would happen the same week that that report's
3: released? It feels a little like a false flag operation, but uh, Gary, you want to handle that one?
5: You know, I I don't know, man. It's just I don't want to go there. It's, <laughs> it's just you know I mean it, there's so much going on in the country and there's so many different angles to come at these things, you know. I don't know who to trust anymore. I don't know yeah. what to believe and what not to you know. It's like I've got to filter through so much information every day just to get down to the to the reality of things. And it's it's a lot of work.
4: Uh huh
5: you know that that's why we put the film together um, if I may you know I want to get people over to the site I want them to check out the trailers at right. com. I want them to buy this film I want them to have home screenings of this film I want them to you know I want them to become aware I want your listeners to become aware of the situation and the state of the country that we're in I mean for the past you know hour and 15 minutes or so we've been discussing all these instances that implicates criminal activity by our own government, the government that waves the red, white, and blue flag, the government that we stand and pledge allegiance to, the government that that our our brothers and sisters are all fighting for overseas, while the criminal activities continue at home. And these are things we have to expose. If we do not expose them, if we do not take responsibility as Americans... As, as brothers and sisters, we will lose this country. This is the last stand of America. We, don't, we cannot just jump into some ships this time and go across the sea. You know, if, if we do, we're going to end up in communist China. Okay? And if we, do, if, do we want this country to turn into a communist state, a fascist state, a socialist state? I don't think so. And that's why this is the last stand for the free people of the world. If we lose this country, if the lamp of liberty goes out, we have no place else to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, l- let me just make a comment on what you, what you just said. Uh, I think we can completely – I don't want to speak for Tom, but I think we can completely agree about from the mainstream media, the news, the people we hear from, the, the lack of trust we have in all of these traditional sources of information and, and hence truth being able to, rel- to rely on them. We-, we present people like yourself and others who are not big-time insiders, who don't have big contracts and big sources of money from folk. And most of the people on our show have lost a tremendous amount of money or other prestige for their positions. But I will say, since this is a Christian show, that we have one reliable source of information, and that is the Word of God. We have the word of God and it very clearly says in Revelation 18 it explains how the how the kingdoms of this earth work. It says that the kings of the earth and the great merchants of the earth conspire together and they use sorcery or what the Greek words term pharmakia. They use drugs to communicate with the spirit world and also it says they use it to deceive the nations of the earth. And I would submit to you that that it is no different that this would be applied in America than it would be in the other countries of the earth. Deception by our leaders, by corporate leaders, and by our leaders of government is as old as the history of mankind. Even though we like to see ourselves as a Christian nation, it's no different here. But because it's real doesn't mean we get a free pass to ignore it. We can't go stick our head in the sand when we've got guys like yourself going out there and knocking yourselves out trying to expose this information. It is true that Romans 13 says that we are supposed to submit to authorities. But in our own country, we are blessed to live under a a constitutional republic where the authority of our land is the U.S. Constitution, the official authority. And when we see government officials doing things that are unconstitutional, they are by definition lawbreakers. And those that support them are lawbreakers. And our duty in Scripture is to support the law of the land by in turn exposing evil and exposing lawbreakers where they exist. So I challenge our our Christian listeners that we don't get a free pass to ignore it and go stand in the corner and wait for the Lord to come back. We're back at FutureQuake with Dr. Future. And Tom, did you know Hal Turner
2: was buddies with Sean Hannity Bionic?
1: That's an interesting middle name right yeah, there. Yeah, I know. Um, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what's going to happen. It's too bad. You know, the Bible says even in the church they're going to separate the wheat from the tares, mm-hmm. and our churches are full of tares. Yeah, like not that we're supposed to, to. The
2: order of like eighty percent.
1: Our society is too, mm-hmm. and we're going to see more of this coming up.
2: I got an explicit warning from a good friend of mine that I shouldn't talk about these things because people were listening.
1: Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of tares, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us at Future Quake?
6: Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
1: Okay. Out of here. That was an
6: intriguing ending there, Tom.
1: Mm -hmm. Come back for our last installment. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day.
0: Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future.
2: And I am Tom, down with Project Megiddo, bionic.
1: All right. Here we are, just two right-wing extremists. Here We're in, end
2: times prophecy <laughs> terrorists.
1: In, in we our, believe in the Bible. We're terrorists. Here in our snuggies doing a uh, <laughs> radio show. Yeah. Uh, this week we have been with Gary Franchi and William Lewis, the producers of Camp FEMA, a new documentary out. And this is our last installment where we bring things around home to... Looking at on a, a biblical-type yeah. way to look at this kind of thing. And, yeah. and uh, uh, quite a bit of final material that we cover here in this last segment, including what we need to do about the information we discussed. I know it's a compelling show. We look forward to hearing what you all have to say. But no further ado, here's Mr. Franchi and Mr. William Lewis, and we'll be right back to discuss it and wrap it up here at Future Quake.
2: The fact that we can do something here in this country and the fact that, you know, as Christians are what we're supposed to do, you know, Try and you know stand against evil, and if nothing else pray against it I mean for goodness' sakes uh we are we're uniquely blessed here in this in this country we're the mm-hmm. best fed we're the best you know best mm-hmm. educated of any probably any Christians mm-hmm. in history and I think the idea that we have to we can take a pass is mm-hmm. uh the ultimate slam against mm-hmm. well most of what the Bible talks about. Well,
1: let me ask you, Tom, would you suggest that our Christian listeners maybe set down the remote control for a few minutes and quit watching uh, America's Idol or America's Dancing or whatever and go grab a sign and maybe stand out in in front of a building with a sign that says some truth on it or let their children show that you take a stand against it or pass out some DVDs like Camp FEMA and go spread it to people they know?
2: Yeah, I would also recommend that they maybe start you know, filtering fluoride out of the water.
1: Okay. All right. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I think that would be, of course. You okay. Know, you're supposed to do something. It doesn't matter. You're not going to change the whole world, but pick one sure. thing you can do.
1: If if we were back in Nazi Germany at this time, would it? And we saw Jews rounded up off the street and loaded up into cars. As Christians. Would it be appropriate for us to stand up for their rights and defend them, or hide them, or do whatever it took, it, it, or would it be better for us just to go hide in our church and say, "Wait for the Lord to return"?
2: It's so funny because it's so funny that that example, example because, comes up because the the poem uh, uh, I believe Mr. Lewis uh, quoted earlier was a uh, was by a guy named he was a pastor a guy named Nee Miller right and his whole the whole point of that was saying look I was a Christian and I didn't do any of this stuff and look at You know, look at look at this. I was supposed to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Some of his remarks standing surrounding that. The other thing, interesting thing about that is um, how so many Christian pastors in uh, the late 30s joined up with Hitler. You know, I've got several pictures of
1: uh, of various Lutheran pastors doing the Nazi Nazi salute. They 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 had swastika flags in their Mm -hmm. churches, evangelical Lutheran churches. Mm -hmm had these swastikas in, in their in their churches. You know, one thing we've talked about, and by the way, uh, uh, we always promote your uh, documentaries or any products from our guests toward the end of the show, and we will have a link to campfema.com uh, where people download the show here, and we want to make sure to promote it prominently yes. here. And we want to reiterate to our listeners, please get this documentary. It is a methodical, well-organized way of laying all this information out. Mm-hmm. One area we have not covered are camps of all things. Yeah, no. We've not I mean, gotten to, to the camp. camps uh, and I and I want us to, to refer to that a little bit. Um, there is something, an Army Regulation uh, 211-35 on the Civilian Inmate Labor Program. Can you very quickly explain to us how this could actually affect us? Uh,
3: yeah. Um, the Civilian Inmate Labor Program is just a simple program by the uh, army to take prisoners who've been convicted in the civilian courts and transfer them over to military authority so that they can go into these military federalized prisons where they are subjected to forced labor and, um, you know, a a, a a very similar type situation that you might expect to see in an internment camp. And I believe when we were talking to Alex I remember him saying that there were about 10 of these things set up around the country. Uh, Gary, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, um, you know, these uh, civilian inmate labor camps are a beta test for the military to be able to pull civilians in and, you know, to test out whether they're going to comply with these, uh, you know, uh, a mandatory forced labor type of situation, how are they going to react in confined uh, quarters or in containment, uh, you know, Uh, they're they're learning how to make their system better before it actually becomes uh, implemented. And, you know, keep in mind that any one of these inmate labor camps could overnight be transformed into a concentration camp. Um, This is one of the things that we like to point out in the documentary. When the Japanese people were rounded up, there weren't any camps built. Those people were put into... Um, you know stadiums and horse racing facilities and you know things like that and then they were bust off uh little by little to these camps and these remote locations where they were forced to actually build the camp that they were going to live in mm-hmm. uh you know in in today's world that's probably the way it would go down we can you know look at what our government has done in the past to determine what they will do in the future and these camps don't have to be in existence right now they don't have to be built they don't have to be standing there i could walk up to a you know, any field and take a photograph of barbed wire fence facing the wrong direction. it doesn't prove there's a FEMA camp there right uh, what the What proves that FEMA camps are a reality is the actual documentation and the legislation, and so we take a really good hard look at it, and uh, we of course, do go into some uh, FEMA camp uh, facilities and photographs and things of that nature in the documentary, which is kind of mm-hmm. hard to to tackle that on radio, but um,
1: right. That's right. They're there. I'll vouch for it. I, I saw it. You can see things with your own eyes. I've got one particular I want to make sure I ask you about. There was a, a very large contract issued for some kind of detention center or some kind of centers back in 2006. It was a $375 million contract to a company, KBR, I believe, Kellogg, Brown, and Root. Um, do you have any update on what has happened since 2006 to that largely funded contract to build these centers?
3: You know, I did when so, I... Uh, go ahead.
5: I, I was going to jump in. You know, I had spoken to some uh, some members in the Department of Defense about these things, and from what I could gather is, you know, a lot of times these contracts, they come into fruition, but they don't always make it uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to full construction or full completion. You know, they, the contracts are there, Kind of sitting on a shelf, waiting for a reason to be built. Um, so, as far as I'm aware, the contracts have not been completely fulfilled. But um, what was it 2006? Coincidentally, it was a 6606 when George Bush announced that they were going to be building more camps for immigration, immigration purposes, and they were going to start. To, uh, creating uh, national identification cards uh, for uh, for identification of, uh, of, a, um, of uh, immigrants in the country for uh, for work purposes. So, you know, I have I've tried to do so much research to discover where the stance of those camps are. I have been able to find out very much.
1: Well, if I could just give you a, a little tidbit of my personal experience. I contacted my congressman, Bart Gordon to find out about the status of that contract because I used to work in the government, and I know they can't sit on money for three and a half years. Something's got to happen with it. Uh, He he, uh, hooked me up with a staffer in Washington on his staff. That staffer spent something roughly two months uh, periodically updating me, trying to find out information on the status of that contract, and they were shocked to find out that they could not find out any information on it. At the end of somewhere around two months or so, maybe longer, they notified me that they had to leave. They were being reassigned, but that they, they gave me the name of the head of contracting for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. They had contacted her, and when she opened up her folder, and if you've ever dealt with a government contracting officer, they keep meticulous details of contracts, progress reports, any activity, money spent. She was shocked to find out from the report I understood to find that that folder completely empty without any kind of records of what has gone gone on on that on that effort and and sort of a mystery to her now I'm not implying that I know that something diabolical is going on. I just find that as an extra curious data point as well because well, that's a large funded effort for for a large number of facilities.
3: All you have what? to do is go look at the national Guard who is hiring. Internment and resettlement specialists. They have a video on the internet that they had to retract. We got it. We have it in the video, Mm -hmm. and you can watch it. They're hiring. They have this nice little video made up of, you know, daily life of an internment guard or, or, you know, an internment specialist. And my question, of course, would be why would they be hiring people to fill these facilities to be the guards if they hadn't already built the facilities? The facilities are built if they're Mm -hmm. hiring people to put in them.
1: Right. Well, and also GoArmy.com, <laughs> we, we we first saw that at GoArmy.com. We reported that here on our, our site uh, before it made it out in the major Internet news. One of our Futurian listeners tipped us off. But but the Army themselves, in addition to the National Guard, are rec- recruiting the same people, uh, and it specifically mentions civilian detainment. Now, some people will say, oh, I'm just sure that civilians overseas that they're detaining. Uh but you start putting two and two together, and you have to ask some hard questions. One important key point. Do we have soldiers who are now assigned on our soil to quell civilian unrest?
3: According to, to Army Times, we do.
1: Okay. That's at Fort Stewart, correct? We have an actual brigade of troops from F, from Iraq who are now designed to quell s- civilian unrest here on our soil. That's
5: correct. Yeah, and even know, if they done- Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, it's not just the civilian arrest. I mean, the, the overall reason they say these people are stationed, these troops are stationed, is in the event of a national emergency or uh, you know some type of a disaster. Uh, and they try to, they try to, uh, you know, defuse any, you know, uh, military policing uh, uh, involvement. But mm-hmm. what, what did you discover? When you, when you
1: came across that information. Well, that, that same, that, that same uh, Army Times report also says that they're outfitted with the latest in less than lethal technologies, uh, similar to what they used in Iraq, but actually more enhanced for here, according to that document. And I remember a quote from one of the guys fresh from Iraq that said, Hopefully, when we use them this time, they won't be shooting at us.
3: Well, you know, in that same report, they also mention other things. In that same sentence, they talk about traffic control and crowd control and these non-lethal weapons that you're talking about. I I mean, I think they've got a very sophisticated plan in place to control traffic. I mean, we're talking about automobiles. We're talking about transportation, being able to get one place to the other. And anybody who's ever been at a ball game and seen police officers staying there at the side with a little remote control where they can change the light at will just by pressing a button. Um, I mean, they are talking about coming in and doing a total lockdown with this particular brigade that you're talking about.
1: Now, um, a lot of these technologies, these less than lethal technologies, like, for example, the pain ray that uses the microwaves to boil the water on your skin, those were sold to the public when the public paid for them. To be used against horrible terrorists overseas.
2: Did you know they deployed those at a town hall meeting in San Diego?
1: Those same pain ray weapons?
2: I saw that in the news this morning.
1: This morning they had the pain ray weapons.
2: They had the cops manning the pain guns. For what purpose? uh, In case people got out of hand there at the town hall meeting.
1: You know, people were doing prohibited activity. They were expressing their minds and opinions.
2: They weren't agreeing with the... That, Senator.
1: That's right. <laughs> the so, I, what I was going to mention is I can remember Alex Jones coming across some of these weapons downtown Minneapolis, I believe, during the mm-hmm. uh, presidential uh, the party mm-hmm. uh, conventions mm-hmm. that were meant for, for, and they were sold to the public to be used against terrorists overseas, and now we're finding them aimed at our own civilians. So, are, are, are you all familiar with this kind of information?
3: With non lethal weapons?
1: Well, with the fact that things like these pain ray weapons are now being brought and being aimed at our own civilians on U.S. soil?
3: Well, that oh, doesn't sure. really... I mean... I mean, that's exactly the way they were sold to the public is, you know, we don't want to have to shoot people. We don't want to have to pull a bullet in you, so we'll use non-lethal weapon. The public bought it. Now every police officer out there has got a taser that they abuse mm-hmm. at every opportunity. I mean, this is just a natural progression of what's been going on in this country for the mm-hmm. past 10 years.
1: Well, these are massive crowd control weapons. You know, they originally were... Um, Uh, weapons that were sold to be used against terrorist uprisings overseas. And now they've been brought to use against our own people now. Um, You know, there's a lot more that we could uh, talk about, uh, such as the uh, H.R. 645 National Emergency Center Act. This also is related to this, too. That's actually a more immediate piece of legislation to build a finite number of such places, correct? Of the Uh, H.R. 645, the National Emergency Center Act. I believe Al Al C. Hastings, I believe, was the guy behind this. That that, that actually is to create – that's just more recent legislation to build, I think, six such facilities, correct?
3: Yeah, a minimum of
5: six. Yes, the H.R. 645 sets up uh, national emergency centers in six of the FEMA districts, um, and uh, they're basically going to be mirror images of the – Japanese and camps with education centers, you know, all, all, all the workings of a,
3: of a camp. Medical facilities, uh, you know, mm-hmm. your your normal uh, road infrastructure and, and traffic structure.
1: Okay.
3: All behind barbed wire fences.
1: Okay. Now, uh, I, I used to work for a military establishment, and I was around when they had the BRAC or the Base Realization and Enclosure. Uh, rounds where they're actually closed, a large number of these bases around the country. Are most of those bases still relatively intact as far as having their, their uh, fences and other kind of uh, high-security areas around them, the best you know?
3: Well, I've understood, and I believe Alex Jones has reported on this, that a lot of those facilities have been reinforced. So, you know, they may have been in a state of decay at one point, but somehow funding made its way through so that these facilities could be, uh, uh, you know, Fixed up. They're getting yeah. ready for something.
1: Now, these facilities are absolutely it, 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 enormous. I mean, they're size of it, cities, right?
3: Well, except, uh, there's
5: actually, strangely enough, there's two cities, I'm sorry, I should say two uh, BRAC closure bases um, within driving distance of my home. In fact, uh, literally uh, two minutes away from my home and Old Columbia Naval Air Station was recently converted into a large residential shopping mall and out homes and golf courses, uh, and then just north of me is Fort Sheridan, which was converted into residential um, luxury homes and townhomes and that type of thing. So, hmm. what we got to understand, though, about the BRAC base closures is that a lot of the bases were slated for different types of use. So, the ones that, for example, near me, were slated for public, uh, public residential use. Other bases are still mothballed. They're sitting there dormant. Other bases are still used, um, you know, just kind of sitting there waiting for something to happen you know so all there needs to be is trigger mechanism for these bases to be activated there's or or just just your, your local stadium or you know look, right. look what they did at the, uh, the 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 silver dome i mean look at look, look at what they can do at your local high school or or, or your local football field uh, you know there's fences and there's turnstiles and there's ways to get people in and out in orderly fashion mm-hmm. there's places to set up tents for sleeping quarters well um, the su- the dome superdome
1: camp. the superdome was no. used for that same purpose, correct
5: Superdome excuse me I said silverdome yeah, yeah. but yeah the, the, that's what I'm saying is in a national emergency crisis situation it doesn't just it's not necessarily going to be in a military base it can be okay. anything that could be slated for public use in large uh, they, they can house larger amounts of people,
1: okay well we 're killing them they,
5: they can set these bases up in
1: twenty four hours, sure I mean they 've got gear that can right. drop down from helicopters and they can spring these things
5: up co- complete with barracks, latrines, you know uh, guard houses and everything right there
1: exactly. Watch
5: fences within moments, so it doesn't doesn 't matter
1: it's I, can, there. I can certainly vouch for that um w- w- Wrapping up here, we're in the last few minutes of the show. Would you agree in summary from your research that not only based upon the data you show about the Japanese internment camps, but when you factor in things of our history like how we handled the Indians, uh, how we handled the Bonus Army, where we actually had people like uh, MacArthur and Patton actually shooting some of our own veterans that were in Washington and chasing them out of town at the end of a bayonet? Would you agree that if our, some of our listeners think that America is just too great and virtuous to ever do something like this, that they should quickly dismiss that thought?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I would agree absolutely.
1: Okay, uh, and, and again, those of you who are of the Christian faith persuasion, if you read your Bible, you're going to find out what the what the mindset and the spirit of those that are in power uh, in the kingdoms of this earth, and and hopefully that'll set you right on what you should expect in response. In closing, what can we do to help stop this coming onslaught on our fellow uh, civilians and citizens?
5: You know, well, the first thing I would say is I'll, – I'll make it briefly. I'll let you jump in. But the, the first thing is we have to uncouple ourselves from federal authority and federal jurisdiction and put the brakes on uh, the, the encroachment of the federal police state. Okay. Uh, and one way you can do that is by – Reasserting local jurisdiction, reasserting county jurisdiction, state jurisdiction. Um, you know The county sheriff has more power than people realize, and educating the power of, of the sheriff to the sheriff can help keep the federal government out of the backyard when it comes time to do roundups, when it comes time to do mm-hmm. confiscations and that type of thing. So it comes back down to local, state, and um, uh, county authority saying, get out of my backyard. Get- what are you doing here? You guys belong in D.C. Go back to D.C. and powder your noses because this is our town, mm-hmm. you know. William?
3: Yeah. Look, I just wanted to say real quick here, and I don't want to, you know, carry on about this for too long. But I did get some feedback from some people who sent in some emails when we first started, you know, talking about releasing the movie, and these were obviously Christians and you know good upstanding mm-hmm. who wanted to let me know that. Um, Basically, they didn't have anything to worry about because they're going to be raptured out of here before any of this takes
4: place. Huh, uh, yeah.
3: I just want to say to those people, please don't wait around for the rapture. Please, let's take some action. Let's do something now because if you if you read your scriptures, you'll, uh, you know, come to some uh come to some places where it talks about Christians being persecuted in the end times. And mm-hmm. I've got to I've got to say that it's it's very difficult to persecute the Christians times that there's no Christians left here on this earth to persecute. So somebody's going to be here. Christians are going to be here when some of this takes place. You know, I, I, I would not want to roll the dice there and <laughs> hope that I get raptured out here before I get thrown into a FEMA internment camp. I'm sure that that was not a very good philosophy to have in Germany right. or in Russia or in China or any of these countries where, yeah. you know, in, yeah. internment camps are just a regular you know, daily way of life.
2: That's the four million Armenian Christians that got slaughtered by the Turks about the turn of last century if, Mm -hmm. you know, they were raptured out.
1: Well, the the sad news, though, is that some of these so-called Christians will be the ones that are doing the persecuting, not be the persecuted. They're going to be the ones with the badge on. They're going to be the ones playing the big guy who's putting the baton down on, on the other people. And if those of you are Christians out there who are signing up to do this kind of stuff, there's still time to repent. There's still time to, to see the handwriting on the wall, read your Bible. You'll understand how things are really playing out. Even if you believe you're going to get raptured out and miss most of this, how about caring about your fellow citizen? How about looking after them and not seeing that they're uh, terribly abused or, or even yeah. had some tin pot dictator Leviticus take over? Leviticus
2: has got a ton of stuff to say about. Uh... Uh, the alien and your neighbor, and that stuff seems to get glossed over all the time. That's exactly right. God God
1: will judge us based upon uh, how we treat the helpless uh, in our society. In closing, how can our listeners get your DVD and other products and keep up with your research?
3: Go to campfema.com. We've got trailers, first of all, to look at. Some of them are very frightening, so make sure if you're going to let small children watch this that you're there with them. because. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> you can't play tricks on you. Um, we want to make sure that people look at the resources that are there. There's a resource page set up. Look, at the, look down at the bottom. Um, I mean, there's just tons of information up there. It's not just the video that's up there. So, you know, jump over to campfima.com, check it out. And while you're there, we would like for you to pick up a video and watch it and then share it with some people and understand that this is a powerful tool that you you can't sit down and watch this and not come away with it that FEMA camps are very real. They are reality.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, your link, campfema.com, will be where this show is archived at futurequake.com. And uh, let us know if we could include some of your documentaries in our Future Quake store. Uh, We'd like to make them available for people, too. Good. And, uh, gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed your your inaugural voyage on Future Quake. You think you might come out and visit us again?
3: Absolutely. Appreciate it, man.
1: Okay, well, I think you're doing sacred work, mm-hmm. and uh, I would just pray that you would uh, continue to do the good work you're doing. The only thing I found, having reviewed the documentary in which I found it deficient, is that it did not feature Dr. Future and Tom Bionic yeah. in our commentary. It, uh, was yeah, sorely, uh, it was sorely lacking. I looked yeah, good in a stormtrooper you know,
5: outfit. Um, can we can always do part eight, two. Um, yeah. <laughs> part, I was thinking more, more long like part four or five. We can...
1: Lead up to their arrival in the <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Thank you for having us. Hey, we have legions behind us here. Uh, anything we can do to help what you're doing, to help participate, promote, uh, assist you in the development. Uh, Chris Pinto, who you're probably aware of, uh, has made the America's Mysteries Series and Riddles and Stone and things. He's part of our circle. Uh, we all need to work together uh, to get this word out. And we just thank you for spending so much time with us tonight. And hopefully, we've shaken up some people. A lot of our listeners are well aware of this, but we need to uh, get new people aware of what's going on. So please come back and visit again soon. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks again. Have a good evening. We're back at Future Quake
2: with Dr. Future. And Tom, down with KBR and their $375 million for detainment camps, Bionic.
1: Wow. And uh, we sort of wrap things up there, try to put things in context, particularly mm-hmm. for. Those of a Christian worldview like Revelation us. Revelation 18. It's in the and
2: Bible. Ever heard of it?
1: Well, uh, not. To, I it. know. But not to be too flippant of it, we need to get people to embrace and recognize what our responsibilities are and the days we live in and what's before us.
2: Sure, it may be evil, but what's a little evil among good friends? <laughs>
1: I know you're joking, but uh, ladies yeah, and gentlemen, sarcasm. we've got to uh, make a decision on what we're going to do. You need to talk in your families right now and decide how you're going to respond to these days. Uh, they're going to come around and knock on your door to have some shots ready for your kids. How are you going to respond to that? And it's going to get more intense from there. So speaking of an intense, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us at FutureQuake?
6: FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at DoctorFuture at futurequake.com. That's d-r-f-u-t-u-r-e at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests, are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
1: Okay, that's the end of the road. Let's get out of here. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's been wonderful to be with you this week. I think this is a very important show. Uh, Come back tomorrow for tomorrow's tremors. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day.
0: Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.
1: Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future.
7: And I am Calculus Maximus here at the nth dimension of the log. Okay, just kidding. Wow. It's really Tom
1: Bionic. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that. I was going to say, boy, it's so much better having you, Calculus, than Tom Bionic here. <laughs> that would have been embarrassing if I said that. L- ladies and gentlemen, this is a very unique uh, Tomorrow's Tremors, or today's review of the Futures News. I'm not going to pick on our friend Tom Bionic and ask him what day it is, because He's under some duress Doesn't right know. now. He, he's under duress right now. Uh, if you don't mind me mentioning, uh, Brother Tom is uh, currently in parts unknown right now, and we're doing this via a Skype interview for a unique Tomorrow's Tremors. He is immersed and uh, barricaded himself in uh, studying for a major examination, actuarial exam that he's been studying for months. It's extremely difficult, uh, very low pass rate, uh he, he's uh taking a very very bold step against the odds in doing this but uh we know he's a really sharp guy and uh you got any update for us on that any kind of feeling Oops. now that's at the time of this recording by the time everybody hears this it'll be over but uh at the time of this recording you're going in the middle of it any uh any news right now on that
7: um well you know it's funny i like once i started doing this i thought okay well I probably shouldn't tell too many people because of what happens if
1: I fail. <laughs> right. You know what? We now, all we all fail at now stuff. Now, I just all
7: the time. went out and people.
1: Yeah, I did. And, <clears throat> but uh, you know, we all have stuff that doesn't turn out like we expect all the time. Uh, only the Lord knows. You know, the Lord will know yeah. what goes on in these kind of things. But uh, you, you remember what uh, Teddy Roosevelt talked about—the man in the arena, you know, who attempts great things, although checkered by failure. It's far better to oh, be. Oh yeah, that it was than, all
7: about the like New Deal and uh, uh, really bringing about um, I'm bringing so in a lot of uh, Teddy, philosophical things.
1: Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy. Oh right. Teddy. yeah,
7: yeah. All right, sorry, wrong. wrong but
4: Roosevelt. he said
1: he was, he was better <laughs> to be the man in the arena than to live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. Okay? Oh, there you go. Fine. So. You, so you
7: definitely you're the, not in the great twilight, Well, the, I'm at like a.m.
1: You're the man in the arena. That yeah. means sometimes you're going to get in a good swipe at the sword and knock it out, and sometimes they're going to get you. But at least you're not setting up in the seats. So True. not only do we salute you, but I'd like to say a quick prayer for you before we get into our news. Is, is that all right?
7: Oh well, thank you. I appreciate
1: that. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I just pray for Brother Tom, who is uh, under some real duress here, Lord, trying to do something uh, on behalf of his career and to do something that would... Uh, Provide means by which he could focus on ministry. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, see his extremely diligent effort and that you would reward him accordingly and you would open up the doors that are best for him, Lord, uh, be it through this or through others. But, Lord, I just pray that you would reward his diligence no matter what that direction might be in the field of actuaries or in whatever, uh, just like with uh, myself and the rest of our listeners. And I just pray that you would, uh, again, bless him. Uh, again, as an accordance also for his diligence, but as he blesses others. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
7: Amen. Well, gosh, that really that really means a lot to me, brother. Thank you.
1: Well, that comes from all your Futurians that are crazy about you out there, too. And uh, you got a lot of people cheering for you out there. And, uh, you know, no, no matter what comes our way, either one of us, uh, our Futurian friends always stick with us. I don't know what we do without yeah. them. Well, you I don't know. know What's it? Well, it's sort of and weird. I, I don't know either. It's sort of weird having you far away like this and having that uh, little Skype delay thing when I'm used to hearing your you know, your comments, particularly the snide comments right here next to me. Oh, yeah. But, uh yeah, you know,
7: well,
1: we've had an improvement uh, in the studio. We've got uh, Pyro, who's actually taken over your chair over here.
7: Well, it'll definitely be warmer. It'll definitely <laughs> be hot by temperature.
1: Yeah. Uh, he hasn't yeah. put his foot in his mouth nearly as many times as you might uh, here. But uh he, he is know, president. You just, of him.
7: Aren't you trying to break him with that? I mean, <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah,
7: <you>
1: <laughs> well, you ready to do some news?
7: Uh let's do it, man.
1: Okay. Hey, by the way, we missed you. Uh, it wasn't the same without you here for the uh for the interview uh that we just did. But uh Sorry, man. we look forward to having you soon. Uh, let's let's jump into some news stories. You want to start first or me?
7: Uh you know, I usually I usually you like it when you start because you have such good stories, but I think I'm gonna I'm going to take over here for just this, just this one time.
1: Okay. Just read, uh, it, read uh, carefully and deliberately because of that uh, Skype delay. You know, this is something new for us okay. here. So, All
7: right. Okay. Here we go. Uh, this one came from the Ba News, uh, and you can actually find it at Buffalo, www.buffalonews.com and just search around their site. The name of the story is It Happened in America, Katrina's Secret Jail.
1: Now, is this a pretty long uh, – is this a long narrative?
7: Um, it's fairly long, but I'll, I want to jump right to the important part here.
0: Good. Okay.
6: Lay it uh, off. Yeah.
7: Uh, so this gentleman, Zaytun, uh had been in, in New Orleans and was staying there. Uh, when the storm hit, Zaytun stayed to protect his house, help friends and clients, and watch over properties he and Kathy owned. That's his wife.
1: This is Katrina, uh, Zaytun, when Katrina hit 2005. During, yeah,
7: yes, Uh, Zaytun weathered the storm's harrowing landfall and ended up in a tent on the house's roof. He dug a canoe out of the garage and began paddling around, seeing how he could help. Uh, He spent the first days aiding neighbors and strangers, saving the life of at least one person trapped in her house, and even feeding stranded dogs. Then the standing feet of water became toxic with organic material and spilled pollutants. His meetings with people became more fraught and weird. He saw his first body and his first criminal entrepreneur's and decided it was time to go. And that's when the unnatural disaster happened. On Tuesday, September 6, 2005, armed and badged black uniformed men and a tall woman in a powerboat appeared at the door of one of his properties that he, his tenant, and two others were using as a meeting place because it still had a working phone. Zaytun was in the middle of a call with his brother, Ahmad, a ship captain, calling from Spain to repeat his pleas to Zaytun to leave town. With no questions asked and no questions allowed, Zaytun and the others were handcuffed and shackled at automatic weapon point, dropped into the boat, and taken away. The officers didn't secure the house or treat it as a crime scene and left it unlocked, which meant it was eventually completely stripped and looted. Zaytun's document documents a little-known fact, the existence of Captain Greyhound, an outdoor jail built in New Orleans' central bus station within hours of the landfall at the behest of the Federal Department of Homeland Security and FEMA. Similar to Guantanamo Bay, Camp Greyhound, uh, which was the guard's name for it, uh, was basically a kennel, uh, runs of wire fencing and concrete flooring. There was nothing to sit or sleep on, and toilet facilities were portable outside the enclosures. Power was provided by a running diesel locomotive parked within yards of the cages, providing a continuous deafening hum and diesel pall. Saitoon was not formally charged, was not red Miranda rights, and was not allowed a phone call. He was physically and verbally abused, pepper sprayed, strip and body cavity searched, and was accused of being a terrorist during his processing at the camp. The details of his captivity only became increasingly outrageous. Fellow prisoners he was able to talk to included a New Orleans firefighter ordered to stay in the city to work who was arrested in his own yard, and a Houston sanitation worker whose company contracted him to help in the cleanup effort. Arrested wearing his work uniform, possessing an ID, and with the keys to his garbage truck in his hand. Prisoners included Marlene Maten, a 73-year-old diabetic deaconess at Resurrection Mission Baptist Church, arrested as she carried a package of sausages from a cooler in her car, parked beside the hotel to which she was returning. Marlene, along with Zaytun and hundreds of, other camp, of others from Camp Graham, ended up at Maximus Security Ellen Hunt Correctional Center, in St. Gabriel, uh, Louisiana, 70 miles from New Orleans. They were FEMA prisoners. FEMA rented state prison space and Camp Greyhound transfers were, according to prison staff, FEMA's problem. Again, transferred with no charges, no information, no opportunity to make a phone call or talk to a lawyer. Thanks to a volunteer prison missionary who agreed to call Kathy, she found out Zaitun was alive. His family had assumed him dead once contact was broken for weeks she immediately hired a lawyer who found out there would finally be a hearing on Zytun's quote-unquote case. However, when Cassie contacted the Hunt Center to find out where the hearing would be held, she was told that location uh, and where Zitun even was even at the prison uh, was private information to which she was, not, uh, she was not allowed to know. Released from Hunt on September 29, 2005, after paying a $75,000 bail, Zytun was lucky compared with the three men he was arrested with. Todd, Nasser, and Ronnie spent, respectively, five months, six months, and eight months in, in maximum security hunt prison. All charges against him, all of them have been dropped. Uh, interviewed for the documentary film The N-Word, Divided We Stand, comedian and social activist Dick Gregor says those are... Uh, anyway, so that's the important part. Uh, wow. this, guy got, this guy got picked up by people who didn't charge him, they had automatic weapons, and they uh, took them to a camp that was run by FEMA. Or you might even say, gosh, a FEMA camp,
2: uh, mm-hmm.
1: except
7: those aren't supposed to exist, right. according to uh, right. according to Glenn Beck and other people.
1: And rights uh, were pretty much out the window at this point.
7: Well, it was not pretty much. There were no rights. His wife was told that he was never charged with anything, and his wife was told that that was private information, and she wasn't allowed to know. Uh, what he was charged with, and even where he was. She thought he was dead. Mm
1: -hmm.
7: They thought his family thought that he was dead.
1: Mm -hmm.
7: And, you know, so there you go.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, um, you you know, as far as rights go, what, Bill of Rights and civil rights, they're Mm -hmm. really not worth anything unless you have them when things are really tough, when things are stressful. I mean, under normal circumstances, that's not when they matter. They matter is when when things are tight and you really, really need to rely on them to protect you, and obviously we see how flimsy our, our our government and law enforcement is to make sure our light our rights are retained. They'll give lip service to them, but the very time you need them is the time they're not available to you. Yeah, sure, absolutely.
7: It's all well and good. You can say, oh, I'm a strong supporter of the Bill of Rights, except when it's important, and that seems to be where certainly where the federal government uh, falls. In fact, they've even if you read closely uh you probably recall the um the ban uh that was uh, struck down by the Supreme Court about firearms and handguns specifically in Washington DC if you go and you look at the go and look at the court ruling there uh what emerges after a few pages is that the government uh assumes that they are giving you those rights
4: mm-hmm. to own a firearm mm-hmm. and they
7: are not uh they are not uh you know as the law, the color of the law says, you know, given by the Creator, natural law, right? As it's put in some, you know, some of our founding documents. Those 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 rights exist at the behest of the government, at
1: which their, is their just pleasure. what happened here, right. you know? And can be withdrawn at any time as well, too. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, um, would you like with me to share another che- a cheery story myself?
2: You're always so uplifting. Hit me.
1: Yeah, hopefully this will help you feel better. Uh this is entitled Uh Ringleader Mohammed Atta Claims the Family Financed Nine One One. Uh, this like, is just,
7: uh this Archie is, Bunker
0: and stuff? No, not, not,
1: not all in the family. This is the family, the group we've talked about on our show, that uh yep. sort of a pseudo Christian organization that uh has footprints in Washington DC uh, is affiliated with facilities they have that congressmen are staying at, well-known conservative congressmen. Um, you oh, you know more about I, them than I do.
7: Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and even, uh, you know, uh, Dobson has taken their money, as, as I recall mm-hmm. from one of the articles we reviewed. Yeah.
1: The, and, the, they run oh, the yeah. National Prayer Breakfast.
7: Mm-hmm. Um, There's ties to um, that guy Blackwater, the Eric Prince guy. Right. You know, yeah. I've been researching him. I, I, With all of his allegations of being both a Christian but also engaging in the wife swapping and stuff, mm-hmm. as well as the oh you know, the prostitution um, rings that he's been charged with running. I'm starting to wonder if he might be, and maybe a lot of these other people who are involved uh, are not Christians and in fact Sabbataeans.
1: Okay, and what would why would you call them Sabbataeans?
7: Well, Sabataeans, um were these were a religious sect that. Uh, uh, I, and i can't I wasn't prepared to speak about this I don't know why i don't um they were they were a uh, religious order where this guy said that like he was ayaah and people mm-hmm. were following him and right. then they um you know they they said uh uh what was it he, the the Muslims caught him and said, you know convert, and he said, okay, i'll convert uh and it appears that his movement sort of went underground um uh but one of the things that they were known for is a lot of a lot of things like that, like wife swapping and um having this weird sort of occult gnostic thing where they would they would appear in high levels of society but also um you know also engage mm. in some very very weird activities
1: It'd be very you know? interesting for our listeners to to Google that or Wikipedia and start their own research. Maybe we could have a show mm-hmm. on the Sabbateans. And,
7: yeah, and this was something that I just i had been doing just a little bit of research on. So uh, now that I've shot my mouth off in front of half a million <laughs> people, uh, there you go.
1: Well, we'll see. We'll see what comes out of that. Speculation. Uh, <laughs> but, but the family, uh, they they run the National Prayer Breakfast. A couple of their quotes from their leaders said that, they, that Christians should emulate Stalin and Chairman Mao. Uh, that was how the kingdom of God... Uh, should should expand within the world. Uh, well, anyway, here's the story here. Take it for what it's worth. Um, <clears throat> now, this was listed on InfoWars. I cannot find. Uh, I'll find here where they picked it up. It was off the local press newspapers in Venice, Florida. It says, Muhammad Atta, and this, by the way, that's the general area where supposedly the hijackers trained to fly airplanes. It says, Muhammad Atta, the alleged ringleader of the 911 hijackings, Told witnesses the crypto fascist evangelical group known as The Family donated at least $200,000 to the cause of flying jets into the Twin Towers. The information surfaced during the abortive FBI investigation right after the events of 911 and were duly ignored by federal investigators, but not by the local press. And they reference uh, uh, the local uh, air, uh, press there in the retirement community of Venice, Florida. Investigative reporter Daniel Hopsicker has been investigating ties between 911 and the local Venice airstrip since the Twin Towers collapsed and has uncovered that the facility was used for decades by the CIA and other clandestine organizations to run drugs and arms, drop assets into the Caribbean, and to train at least three of the alleged 911 hijackers how to fly. Hopsicker tracked down witnesses to an argument between Atta and Marwan El Shehhi. Less than six weeks before September 11, over finances at the Pelican Alley Restaurant in Venice, Florida, Renee Adorna and her husband. Oh yeah. Ta- okay.
7: Uh, um, well, I was gonna uh, let me let me jump in here for a second. That uh, Venice, Florida, is actually kind of an infamous place. The um, the Venice Municipal Airport there is pretty famous for having had uh, just an insane amount of uh, CIA involvement there
0: do they have
1: rendition Um, flights there too probably
7: uh maybe but there there is actually a lawsuit i don't know if it's still pending but at one point uh within the last couple of years it was where the city was actually suing the venice municipal airport because there was there was too much weird stuff going on there (laughs) and they said look you have to seriously there there was uh like people were flying in there were international flights landing there uh private jets that nobody knew anything about. Uh, and in fact the guy who owned that place, uh uh he was actually he owned the books the book repository where um uh
1: uh the Harvey gentleman Oswald? Kennedy yeah Lee Harvey yeah, Oswald Lee Harvey Oswald.
7: Uh-huh, he owned the Venice Airport and the book repository uh and he also introduced Lee Harvey Oswald to uh the gentleman who provided Lee Harvey Oswald with the arms with the with the this particular bolt action sniper rifle
1: and this is the same one that actually could have a connection to, uh, that has a connection to nine one one it possibly
7: yes.
1: how interesting. he was also
7: he was also best friend that gentleman huffman uh i i can't recall his first name he was also best friends with Lyndon johnson
1: huh okay. Well, let me mm-hmm. proceed here then. We'll keep that in perspective here. Right. Renee right. Adorna and her husband Tom owned the restaurant, and she recalled that Atta yelled at Marwan, We're talking $200,000. We've got to answer to the family. Further, she said, and I could have sworn that the one guy was wearing a cross, you know, a big gaudy gold cross on the chest, but I'm not sure now. But I know he had a big watch on. According to the count, there was a third unidentified Egyptian-looking man in their party as well. I don't know what Egyptian man looks like, with that he had a pharaoh hat on or what, but anyway. Uh, then it mentions here the family is a quasi-fascist evangelical cult with tentacles around the world. Some of its members include Americans from the highest echelons of government, including former Attorney General Ed Meese, who resigned amidst controversy in the Reagan's over uh, arms and cocaine shipments in Iran and Nicaragua, and also personally profited from the government's theft of promised software developed by the Inslow Group. The family was the subject of the book The Family, The Secret Fundamentalism at the Heart of American Power by Jeff Charlotte. Uh, And I'll mention that uh, right now on uh, PID Radio, they just interviewed him. It's a very interesting show. Oh, man. Uh, It's up there for listening to anybody. uh, It is also the subject of earlier research by Wayne Madsen, another frequent guest. Uh, and also an independent investigative reporter it says all the leads developed by Hopsicker, including agents now involved in the recent drugs, arms, and embezzlement scandals in the Turks and Caicos Islands, not to mention an assassination attempt on George W. Bush on the morning of 9 in Florida by alleged Arabs posing as journalists in a white van, have been ignored by all federal investigators just as in the kennedy assassination the best source of information on what really happened remains eyewitness reports collected by independent journalists not coincidentally the 911 conspiracy shares a number of features with the kennedy murder including multiple attas oswalds suppression and destruction of evidence and a packed investigating airport. panel uh well <laughs> that airport yeah and a, a packed investigating council led by conspirators able to push prefabricated Inclusions on other members who in turn pushed the line to the press and public. Just wrap up here. The biggest parallel, uh, with the Kennedy assassination 911 was the fact that they were so explicit they happened in plain sight. The public was asked to ignore their own common sense in both cases. On 911, we were supposed to believe that the perfect demolition-style fall of the Twin Towers was due to jet files corroding steel, although it was obvious it happened when they were brought down by internal explosives. Uh, and that answers the nagging question about the Atta and Marwan incident in Venice, Florida in August 2001. Why would two native Arab, Arabic speakers, and Atta was supposedly from Egypt, and Marwan, the United Arab Emirates, have a loud argument in a very public place in English? The answer is they staged the argument. Was the family even involved with the summon question? Who knows? It fits in with them leaving the significant details of the plot in plain sight to talk to the public. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Hopsicle's latest article, written with Texas lawyer and researcher Linda Minor, uh, finds deep connections between the Venice airport, the Kennedy assassination, Iran Contra, and the Clinton Bush cocaine smuggling operation through MENA, Arkansas, MENA, Arkansas, as well as the 911 patsies at flight schools around Florida. So, I don't know if that's conclusive evidence that the the family's connected with that, but I think it's pretty sure. Likely to say there's something smelly going on down at that airport. What would you say? Oh, to say,
7: the least, to, say to say the least, uh, the gen that gentleman Huffman, um, he ended up, he ended up uh, uh, actually storing. He had a top secret missile that he built back in the 60s. Which is this is actually I while researching this missile, and I, it's funny I can't remember the name of it. While researching this missile, I actually stumbled across this whole weird thing where uh, he didn't entirely trust the people there at, uh, who had, you know, helped them build this missile. So he took the four or five prototypes and stored them there at Venice Municipal Airport for a couple of years. And uh, then when they got ready, they were so revolutionary, supposedly, really they were just, it was just a missile. Uh, uh, he wanted to keep them under wraps. And so once he got once he was finally ready to to show them to the military, uh, he drove them all over the, the Venice Municipal Airport.
1: Hmm. Here it is. Well, we've got and, uh, we've got less than three minutes left. Uh, time goes by real quick. We I don't know I don't have time for some other stories. I've got Lynn Horowitz files pandemic charges with FBI in, in New York City. San Diego sheriff uh, deploys military sonic area denial weapons at political meetings here in the U.S. And on and on it goes, mixing together bird flu and swine flu right now. The Centers of Disease Control body bags ordered in Canada. Any other news you're hearing? Uh, in summary, of the last two minutes, our futurians need to keep an eye on here.
7: Well, it's it's tough. There are so many big stories out there, but I do have a real quick one. Um, let me just go through it. Actually, we, this actually this one actually comes from Market Watch.
1: This is a minute so and a half, sorry, not market. Yeah, you got about a, a minute. Minute, a minute yeah.
7: Okay. Well, um, if I go too long, then just say, "Hey, we're done." Okay. Um, this this one comes from uh, actually not MarketWatch. This is uh, from ElliottWave.com, and I'll just jump right into the middle of it. Imagine that you've gone to a local convenience store and withdrawn money from an ATM. You walk back out and get in the car and begin backing up. When a black Cadillac SUV pulls up next to you, a man jumps out and stands in front of your car. He's pointing the gun. You're frightened. You want to escape, so you keep backing up. Distracted by the gunman in front of you, you bump a second gunman who is behind you. You shift into forward and steer away from them. Uh, they run behind your car and fire into the vehicle, unloading both clips. Moments later, as you lay dying, you ask the EMTs, Who shot me? And they reply, The police. This nightmare became real. Unlike the suited officer friendly of the 1950s, today's drug cops could look like anyone and be driving anything undercover drug enforcement officer shot and killed a 29-year-old pastor on Tuesday, September 1st, in Toccoa, uh, Toccoa, yeah, mm-hmm. Georgia. I, kn- uh, I know people who knew and loved him and his pregnant wife. Here are excerpts from the September 3rd Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Before he died Wednesday with bullet wounds to his liver, Pastor Jonathan Ayers asked medics, paramedics who shot him. Uh, Ayers' brother-in-law believes these words may... These words mean one thing: that the Livonia minister did not know who was being approached by he was being approached by law enforcement, and that he had inadvertently stepped into the middle of their drug in- investigation. Georgia hmm. Bureau of Investigation is, is examining the fatal shooting. The two plainclothes officers, both members of a Northeast Tri-County Drug Task Force on hmm. administrative leave, uh, they didn't yell stop.
1: We're going to have to call her. A, we're going to have to call her a day there. Uh-huh. Any last uh, summary of that story our listeners should be left with? Yeah, he the was uh, mo- he was mono- helping
7: a yeah he was helping a um, he was helping a prostitute get back on her feet and gave her a hundred dollars and uh, so the cops figured that he was part of the drug thing so they shot him hmm. which is the short version.
1: Okay, all right, uh, we got to go to Merv real quick uh, so he can tell our listeners how to contact us here at Future
0: Quake.
6: Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at DoctorFuture at futurequake.com. That's d-r-f-u-t-u-r-e at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests, are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast.
1: Okay, that's the end of the road. Uh, Time always goes by real quick. Even when you're not here, it goes quick.
7: I know, I know. Usually, I I think my uh, uh, presence actually slows time down.
1: Well, actually, it was a lot slower when you weren't here in the interview we just recorded. We miss you, buddy. Look forward to having you back in the studio and get this test behind you. All right. Yeah, man. Hey, thank you, brother. And ladies and gentlemen... I uh, hope you enjoyed Future Quake this week. It was a little different. Um, just makes us see how much we miss old Tom here in the studio. Come back next week. We've got a great interview next week. With a new set of guests. But until
0: then, we hope your future's always bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.